Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast here on hawkfanatic.com. I'm still trying to get coffee in me, so I'm a little bit sluggish this morning. Uh, So we'll let Scott Docterman from The Athletic, my normal uh, podcast partner here, and we are happy to be joined uh, by a good friend, Mark Morehouse. Mark, are you, uh, are you, can we call you Mark from Hawkeye Podcast or Hawk, HawkeyePodcast.com? Is that kind of where you're? Sure, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, we haven't done a podcast for a while, John <laughs> Miller and I, but uh, uh, it's summer and there's yeah. no reason to to think. It's, it's, I, I started this project uh, trying to figure out maybe what, what, what other teams had. It's impossible. It, it's impossible. I mean, it's really hard to really take a look at what people have and, so yeah, we uh, John I think is put uh, a daughter is going to college. I had a daughter move to uh, the West Coast, so yeah, we're just kind of being dads this summer so far. Horse la- totally horse latituding it, mm-hmm. and that's important. I think you know for John, um, it's interesting too because this is a reunion of the on Iowa podcast with you and Scott. Mm-hmm. And then you're doing podcasts with John, who I worked with for like 15 years. You and Scott worked together for a long time. Um, and we all know each other. And it's more friendship, really, than even co-workers at this point in time. And uh, I just this business is just insane. But I think what what's really I've admired and happy for you guys. And you guys both got to a point where you needed to step away for a while and then come back. And I could say that I've been there a lot of times. I haven't made that jump over the line yet, but I've been there a lot of times. Do you feel better? I mean, are you in a better place now than you were kind of when, you know, last summer was hard on all of us. Uh, let's yeah. not, there's no need to beat around that bush. But yeah, I've, I've lost like 15 pounds. I'm down to the 170s again. Uh, feel like a seventh grader. Um <laughs> Uh, yeah, life is good. Um, we moved to Galena, Illinois. We live in the woods. Uh, I love that. I'm, I, I, I still, the one thing that I'll, that I know for sure I'll miss is, uh, the road trips. Those were a blast. You got, you finally, it was just about the game, maybe getting something good to eat on a Friday, having a few beers crashing and then a 18 to 20 hour Saturday. Uh, cause we always drove back right away like crazy people. 
but I already think of the things I'll miss, but yeah, um, uh, 22 years on the beat for a place that, you know, every time I went and asked for a raise, they kind of get, you know, they, they no abla, you know, like, who are you? Uh, so <laughs> I had enough of that crap. Um, I, you know, just stress of the beat. And after Scott left and I'll be honest, I mean, we had good guys come in and, and, uh, take over, but, uh, it was, you know, Scott knew what to do and I knew what to do. And it was really hard to kind of get that dance going again. And we kind of pulled away a little bit from the coverage. And, you know, I was outnumbered in a lot of press conferences. There's like 19 register guys and 47 DI people. And, uh, uh, I'm just like, okay, I'm just one guy here. Um, so yeah, that kind of, it just got stressful. And, uh, after 22 years on uh, covering a beat, I, I don't know how many people you know, Pat, Pat's done it. Uh, 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 Steve Batterson, uh, Bonin Camp, I think, has done it longer than I have. Uh, Halas, obviously. Um, you know, more power to him. I, it, it just uh, the minutia, the daily minutia. You know, the uh, not even just that. I mean, the NIL. Uh, I, I look at I look at the way that the news taxes fans now, taxes their enjoyment of the game. Um, I kind of felt that I was like, okay, I'm going to tell you about the NIL. I don't really know anything about it, but here it is. And fans are like crickets, you know, it's like, okay, most, most of them. I mean, there are some fans who this is a tipping point for because they don't think college athletes should get paid, but that's a, who wants to have that argument all the time? Oh, for sure. Yeah. (laughs) And we've had the force of amateurism. I mean, we've all, we've been in this business enough to know that that's just a term that's just, Agreed. Yeah. Scott, yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think uh, the, the fun things that are in this business are what, like you said, you know, the road trips, the fun, you know, little journeys, whether it's, hey, we're in Rosemont, Illinois, but let's go 50 miles and three hours out of our way to Munster, Indiana. <laughs> so, you, so you could go to the Three Floyds factory where there's carpet on the walls and speed metal through the <laughs> the sound system there and, <laughs> you know. Um, or uh, Steve's, uh, the Steve's place in there in uh, Madison, where, you know, first time I saw Mark in there, he's got a shopping cart. And he looks like Nicolas Cage and leaving Las Vegas, <laughs> loading up things and <laughs> with all kinds of different beers. And, uh, but, you know, and a million other stories like that, that we could last a lifetime. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, the, as you said, the, you know, the newspaper industry, this, we all are products of it. I'm not going to knock it as a whole because I think it serves an important purpose. But I think the dealings with management, I always felt like we were like uh, NCOs, non-commissioned officers as reporters. Like we know our shit. Uh, we're like the sergeants. We know our shit. But then there's some second lieutenant. Uh, I don't know what you do here. Uh, 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 you know, and they don't know anything and they ruin the company just like the second lieutenants ruin a lot of battles. So uh, I think we're all happier <laughs> to be in different places yeah. without having, you know, those types of ignorant bing counters telling us what we can and can't do or, oh, you know, like in Mark and I's case, uh, our last podcast had 61,000 downloads, uh, but yet they couldn't find a way to, to sell it. And, uh, and when they did, they didn't know, they got the check and they didn't know what it was for. Right, right. There was that one time. Yeah, Brian Vakolskis, you know, out in a lawyer in Sioux City who we're friends with, sent in a check to sponsor the podcast. They're like, okay, now what's this for? So some, some asshole got, got a freaking commission charge. 
for what we did and didn't even know why. So, you know, that's, that's news, the newspaper industry in it. There, the newspaper industry in some ways, not in, not the individual paper part of it, but the industry is a lot like the NCAA. It's like, what happened? Oh, what, oh, oh, you know, so anyway, there's, there's my rant for the day. But I, I am glad that uh, they hired Leah. And uh, I, I was really thinking that the whole beat needed, uh, needed, you know, needed some diversity. I mean, old gray beard guys. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I looked at the younger people on the beat and I, I was thinking, you know, this, uh, in my back of my mind, I was like, you know, uh, it's a fight. It's a fight for me to, you know, to get the news, uh, to stay relevant. Um, you run out of, you run out of ideas. At least I did after so many years. And, uh, I, I try, you try not to recycle stuff. I did recycle the uh, you guys will probably laugh, but uh, maybe about 10 years ago. Oh, no. Uh, last time I did it was probably Syracuse weekend, just because it was a road trip. Um, <laughs> I would ask the guys, How, wh- why are you number 44? Why are you number 46? And they don't, there was, that usually was a good story. And the guys would have something funny to say uh, or interesting to say or, you know, or meaningful. And I've recycled that one a couple of times. So I, you know, I, I didn't want to do that. I, I didn't want to have to go through that a third time. I'm interested. And in, just to, to build off of that, I mean, you've got Leah, you've got Kennington at the register. So you've got, you know, the two main papers in the state with young reporters, 25, I'm guessing they are. I don't know their exact age. Yeah, I don't know either. But it's yeah. really a shift right now in terms of Iowa media, just in terms of the traditional you know, outlets. I'm interested to see what these guys can do. I mean, it's a different approach now. I mean, you're, you know, we use social media, but we're kind of dinosaurs in how we use it. And I I know that when I watch the younger people use social media, they're way better at it than me. It's because there's a self-promotion element to it. And there's also a way to engage, um, you know, readers, listeners, whatever, and I'm interested to see what they can do with that. And, and it's interesting. They're coming in and they're covering a 65-year-old football coach that's like 40 years older than them. I met Kennington the other day and he's like, when did you start covering Iowa football? And I was like, well, I was the second guy on the beat in 97. He goes, yeah, that was before I was born. No. So, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... I think it's interesting too. I, I, I think they're trained in different ways. You know, uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see narrative podcasts come out or, or, you know, more, more interesting use of podcasts, um, uh, uh, oral history type things. Just, there's just, they're trained in different ways. I, I was mostly words. Uh, words were what mattered to me. And then reporting, reporting in words. Uh, I, I think Scott and I in our podcast, I think we also, talk you know i know this is going to sound weird or just weak but uh the game uh there's so much to learn and to know and to appreciate and to dissect in the game Uh, that's kind of where i was and uh, you know the digital stuff really was never really came easy for me because i just wasn't trained that way i mean when i started this doing this stuff in uh 1993 uh it was a a computer with green letters it was like the matrix uh, all the computers were dark with green letters uh-huh. and everybody had the radio shack portable yeah. radio shacks three li- writing a story <laughs> with three lines at a time that was the trash the, 80s 
waiting so, for the modem to hit back at the yeah. office. You're like, when you heard heard that noise of the modem hitting, you're like, yes, I don't have to dictate this thing. Yes, they were bro- <laughs> there, there are broken uh, phones all over the Midwest that didn't work for me, uh, and a crack, and that was it. Uh, sorry, sorry, Beaver Dam, uh, I owe you some money. Oh man, um, yeah, there were pe- there are people out there that know what we're talking about and don't, and uh, sometimes <laughs> it's it's inside inside humor and jokes here, and we all kind of. You know, we all kind of came up the same way covering high schools, you know, walking those sidelines on Friday nights and kind of, you know, it was a notepad and, a, a, you know, when we got to it, you know, the, the cassette recorders and yeah. uh, the little mini cassette recorders that we do interviews on and hopefully get Butch Peterson before he got on the bus and went back to the high school at West Branch. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he yes. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've had to diversify. I taught myself how to shoot photos. I've done like video editing that I never did before. Things I never thought I would do when I got into this business and I was in college. Um, but that's just, you know, you have to adapt. And, uh, you know, I've certainly gotten to the point where, where right. you got to, Mark, you know, the last few years where I was like, you know, I don't know if I can continue to do this. I, uh, I interviewed at the, at the post office and had a job offer there and i i turned it down because i just wasn't sure if i could make that leap yet so you know it's uh we'll see where this all goes you know with the interactions with fans are a lot different now and i think that uh, that often weighs um and not negatively there's a really there's a lot of really positive interaction as well i'm not just saying that it's negative interaction but you know it's It'll be easy to see where this thing goes in five to 10 years, because I just think it's, it's speeding up and, and things change a lot quicker now than they used to. There's a splintering, uh, I think, of the industry. I mean, whether it's from the different platforms and, and mediums, you know, to the uh, just to the general, uh, you know, the venues. And, and like in, in my case, you know, going from newspapers to land of 10, you know, I won't even say God rest its soul. I'm glad it's gone. And I hope it's in, you know, journalism <laughs> hell. Uh, and, uh, and then also uh, the athletic, which I, I really enjoy and have enjoyed working at for three years now. Um, you know, and, and each of them have their own niche. I mean, you have, you know, the, the, what you grew up kind of in and started in the industry, Rob, with the, with Hawkeye nation and then kind of moved around and uh, the recruiting sites and how they've grown and, and, you know, bringing fans in and interacting with fans and having message boards. And, and uh, I think that's something that's completely changed sports journalism and, and, and sports as a whole more than any other at, you know, thing there. And then the kind of the, the downward spiral of newspapers. I mean, let's face it, you know, Hey, you've got 15 inches to tell this story. Well, it's a good story. Uh, well, you only got a finite amount of space. Well, that allows outlets like mine. We don't venture into the video realm at all. We do audio a little bit, but, but, you know, we're more concentrated on the words and Hey, if this story is just tell the story. Don't worry about the the space. And and then of course you have podcasts, which Mark and I I kind of feel like we're the OGs of this. Uh, he used <laughs> to say that uh, I was a DJ and he's the rapper. And uh, and so we put it together. We had it. These, I just did these crushed grooves, Scott. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's and, pretty uh, awesome. I did. I had no idea. <laughs> How long did you guys do on Iowa? Was it ten years? Yeah. 10 plus years. Yeah. It was, wow. uh, we started it in, in the summer of 2010. 
and um, we were we did it on it first like on a handheld recorder and our second one which is always (laughs) kind of legendary was coming back from Big Ten media days and I'm driving in the western suburbs driving 80 miles an hour and we're handing this recorder back and forth (laughs) talking about what we learned and stuff and that was coming back from Big Ten media days yeah Yep. So you guys got to go a whole, uh, what is it, uh, Indianapolis? Yes. Ew. It's farther, but easier to drive. But is it, is it, 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 are they making it worth it? You know, is the access yeah. going to be worth it always? And that's always a question. Obviously, it's changed. You guys remember the two hours at a table with players and the coach? Man, that was gold. That yep. was gold. Yeah, um, I hope they make it worthwhile for you because that is kind of a pain in the ass drive for the western half of the league. Yeah, and it's and for Penn State people and Maryland people, it would be too. <laughs> Nobody cares oh, yeah, about right. that, Rutgers. Yeah, yeah right. You're right. luckily, luckily, you're in the league. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's going to be at the stadium, and there's no luncheon, so the coaches are thrilled that they don't have to deal with that. Uh, but yeah, it's. Uh, I hope that we do get good access because, as you mentioned, it, when it was split up and you had like right after they got done with their podium time and then they went and talked to the radio and TV people. And then the next day it was all print or, you know, I guess now it'd be print and online media. That was great for us because, yeah, you could sit right next to a coach. And if it wasn't back then, Jim Tressel or Joe Paterno, you could get whatever you really kind of wanted if you had a good story idea. But now it's, you know, if you're the Ohio State coach, Ryan Day, you're going to have you'd have circled, you know, three or four rows around you. And if you got two questions in that wasn't from the the dispatch or, you know, 11 warriors, you were, you'd be lucky. Yeah. That the, there was an orbit around urban Meyer, no. you know, <laughs> concentric circles of zombie media. Also Harbaugh was big back mm-hmm. then. I don't, I imagine there won't be much, well, there will be a crowd for Harbaugh, but it will be more mm-hmm. haranguing. I hope. Uh, because, but uh, what about narratives this year for Big Ten? I'm picking up on uh, a lot of positivity for Iowa, and I'm, you know, I, I get. I think the defense will be solid. Um, great running back. Um, question mark? Man, question mark at quarterback, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I, I, to me, when there's two new offensive tackles for an Iowa offensive line, I'm going to be interested to see how it's going to work. And these guys aren't aren't overly big, powerful guys. I don't think. I don't know what where where, where is uh, where's the positivity coming from from for Iowa. I I think you start with what you mentioned. You know, defense. Um, I mean, they return everybody in the secondary. Uh, you know, and that's the cash five five guys plus. Uh, I think there's a couple. You know, even second teamers that you know, a Xavier Williams or a Jamari Harris, who would be starters in most years. So that makes sense. You look at the second level, their top three linebackers are, I, I kind of think that they're going to be in that Hitchens, Morris, Kirksey mode, except I think Campbell's better than any of them. Uh, the defensive line is they're, they're re, it, it's young, it's inexperienced, but I think you'll also look at Linderbaum and you look at Goodson and and uh, they do have enough playmakers and enough linemen returning to where hey this team was really good last year it was a top 15 team and now it's, it has a chance to kind of kind of take that next step and you look in the west I mean they buried everybody except Nebraska <laughs> strangely enough 
uh, you know, in the last six games, I should say. So I, I think they're, they're they're due for a lot of positivity. I do think that most of the questions are going to be centered about things that aren't football related for everybody, and that's playoff positioning. Um, there's a groundswell of support for eliminating division play uh, for yeah. going to the eight games. Kirk even said when I had my one-on-one with him that, hey, uh, you know, a third grade third grader could tell you that it's it's at a, you're at a competitive disadvantage if you have eight games versus nine and, and you look at the, at the college football playoff stats out of the 28 slots, 16 have gone to teams that only have eight regular season league games, 11, 11 have gone to teams with nine. So when you look at Ohio state, for instance, in 17, when they got ran into that Iowa blitz Craig or 18, when they went to Purdue and had the same thing happen. Um, those are games that may have been off the table in an eight game season. Now, you know, nobody's going to go boo-hoo for Ohio State. But still, if you're the Big Ten and you're saying we want our champion in the playoff and they can't get in the playoff because they had to go travel, whereas uh, an Alabama is not going to Georgia or Florida or somebody like that and, and at least having that opportunity to get tripped up, I think you got to reevaluate that as a league and say what's most important, playing each other more, not less, or let's get three teams in the 12-team playoff every year. And the best way to do that is cut cut – one more hiccup for your league. Makes sense. Makes sense to me. Uh, That'd be good uh, for the fans. I, Cause then you'd have that extra non-conference game where you can play a power five school, which everybody else wants. You can play Alabama, LSU, all the schools that the fans have been clamoring for. You could have that extra non-conference game. Yeah. Uh, I think I heard <laughs> that a few years ago at big 10 media days. And that was a no. Yeah, pretty solid. No, which you know now now the conference brings it to them this year with uh, Indiana right off the bat, which will be a good team. But yeah, I, I, I that that fourth non conference game it has to be something in my mind because I think the fans, these Iowa fans, have kind of sniffed it out. They're done with the North Texas. They're done mm-hmm. with uh, uh, Kansas State's, and uh, they're done with the Max schools. The attendance will be bad for those games. So hopefully, they can find some happy medium. Uh, like, a, you know, when the, that five minutes that the Big Ten Pac-12 thing was alive, I thought, Washington State, you know, go kick the crap out of Mike Leach's uh, air <laughs> offense and have fun. Uh, you know, match up with a like, uh, a like sort of uh, tier, tiered program, you know, in the SEC, maybe like a Tennessee or uh, Mississippi State again. But, but you know, just I, I do think that fourth game – and I do I agree with Kirk on that. I mean, I think eight games if it's like an election, you know, why would you have your guy, you know, run another primary, one more primary before actually going into the election? I mm-hmm. I think eight games is makes sense, but you got to be if you're in Iowa shoes, you got to be creative with that that fourth game. And look at Wisconsin this year, uh, 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 going to uh, are they going to to Dublin. No, uh, they are in the f- future. Well, no, they're not. They're playing uh, at Soldier against Notre Dame. Okay, that's it. Yeah. The Shamrock thing. Yeah. I saw the uniforms the other day. Um, you got to do something like that. You really do if you're Iowa. I, who do you do that with? Well, I don't know. But you, you got to do something like that. Maybe well, not in Alabama, like Ron no. said. And I, I think th- there is a certain faction of fandom that want to have that game. Uh, they're in the minority game. as far as I know. You don't um, want that game. I, 
Yeah, I, I would say, you know, I, I keep coming up with Arizona only because that's what I know. But uh, uh, you got to go south. You got to play yeah. a Florida team or something like that. Yeah, it, it's it, there's a couple of things in play where you look at, you know, originally this year, Illinois and, and Nebraska were going to play in Dublin, but then the pandemic shut that down. Now they're playing That's in right. Champaign. Next year, Nebraska and Northwestern are going to play <clears> in Dublin. <throat> this year, Northwestern moved its game with Purdue to Wrigley Field after last year was supposed to play Wisconsin there. Everybody's having fun. And Iowa's sitting here going like Charlie Brown on, on Halloween. I got a rock. <laughs> You know, there's nothing there because you're landlocked with Iowa State. And, hey, right. I'm not going to – we've had – Mark and I always had that moratorium that – and then we had the horse latitudes where we opened it up on, on the Iowa-Iowa State series. But let's face it, they're a top-10 team this year. You can't complain about that. No. Uh, so – but if you could get that extra game opened up, there are a lot of years where you could look at and say, maybe we should go to Europe. <laughs> maybe that would be a great trip for our fans once – is week zero, go play anybody, Syracuse or, or Georgia or somebody like that over in, in England or Germany or something like that, or get a, a, a week one game with Notre Dame in, in Chicago or, or, you know, they've had offers to go to Dallas and, and, and Atlanta and they turn them down because they can't play. You know, in Iowa, you can't play 11 power fives and hope to compete for a championship because that's just too much. Season suicide right there, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, the one year after Wisconsin played at Lambeau, uh, LSU, mm-hmm. Marta did say in the radio, he said in the radio that, yeah, we kind of want to do something. And I asked yeah. them about it. And they did have something going, but Iowa State was not going to let them out, which would, I think right. at that time would have been a million-dollar penalty to, to drop it for a year. I don't know what it is now, but I, I think those talks have kind of subsided. And I, what and happened with it? Yeah, that? I, yeah, I talked to uh, Gene Taylor about it yeah. at Kansas State, and they thought about that a little bit, the Iowa State factor. But then they decided, you know what, we're not even going to mess with that. Let's actually make it an eleventh game and do it. And then um, he's like, "Ah, eh, that fell apart," which kind of means football said, "Hell no," you know. So <laughs> that's uh, that was kind of how it ended up working out. That they were actually wanting to do let's just do something big and fun and then of course it, it just doesn't work when you got nine games and because and that and that's the other factor it's different playing across the division playing let's say michigan state or indiana versus playing kansas state or oklahoma state you know it's just the feel the vibe of the game the history and so that's something that i think they have to be you know they have to be cognizant of but i i think what's going to ultimately win out here is no divisions and eight games. And the easy way to do that is say, hey, everybody, you get three three opponents, you're playing them every year, and then out of the other 10, you're cycling them on two years on, two years off. And then you have eight games that way. And if you look at, um, you know, for instance, um, you know, Penn State, their road is always through Ohio State. And they might be the second best team in the Big Ten, but they never have the chance to go compete in Indy because Ohio State's in that way. Well, boo-hoo for them, but if they were in the West, they might get there more often. And and so you got to, you know, remember that. And and for Iowa, this is a chance to kind of expand. But I think ultimately the Big Ten has to say, how can we get three teams in the playoff every year? That's the ultimate goal. It's not, let's make sure we, you know, Iowa and Maryland play more often. Right. I would vote for... Uh, if they're taking on a Pac-12 team, Boulder or Eugene 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I, those would be nice. You go to the ACC, it'd be nice to play like a Virginia Tech. But I'm with you guys. If you if you can, I, I mean, this this impacts recruiting too. I mean, you're mm-hmm. out on the recruiting trail and said, "Hey, we're going to Europe." Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're, or we're going to play in. You know, we're going to play Missouri. You could even start small and say, "Hey, let's play Missouri and St. Louis, absolutely, or something." You know, I mean, you could start smaller and then just kind of build up to different. But that would really sell in the recruit on the recruiting trail. I'm sure it helps the schools like Wisconsin that are doing this right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, the new uniforms too. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Those are pretty sweet. You know, you look at Northwestern and Nebraska kicking off next year over in Dublin. Uh, you know, they're taking a game away from Ryan Field. So what? It's fun. You know, it's a different experience. And, not you know, and, and all it would be would be a sea of red anyway. Yep. And so we, you might assume. I think the three of us have named rats in, in uh, Ryan Field. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Every time I walk past a pile on the way out of a pile of trash, I just keep going, Oh, I don't know about this, you know, just because you don't know how many are going to be lurking around there. But but I I think that, you know, because the playoff is going to bring more games and uh, more games to campus, obviously, the first round. But with a 12 team playoff, you're if you're a number five or six seed, let's say Iowa in 2015 and they beat Houston in the opener at home at Kinnick Stadium, then maybe let's say they go and upset Oklahoma which I think is possible. I think Oklahoma wasn't as good as Stanford. And then uh, if they make it all the way to the championship, that's a 17 game season. That's a lot to ask of these players. So, uh, you know, there is a thought that maybe they cancel the championship game or bring it into within the regular season and make like that final week, like a a champions week where one plays one, two plays two and and something like that. Uh, Or, bring zero week in as part of the regular season. So you have at least one more built in by uh, through the course of the year to, you know, for rest and what have you. I, I mean, there are a lot of different options, but it's uh, it, you know, I, I do think though that how football is going to be defined in the future going forward is, did you make the playoff? It's not, did you make the freaking peach bowl? you know, as the number 12 seed or the citrus bowls of 14, there's no disappointment in that, you know, except for us. Cause I think we'd rather go to Atlanta than Orlando. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I, I still want, I still desperately want a holiday bowl jacket. Mm. Did you one. not pick one up? I really screwed up by not mugging somebody out in San Diego. Uh, I want a bull jacket. I want to wear it on Saturdays. I want to feel <laughs> like a, re- a relic. On Saturdays, <laughs> <laughs> what are the red jackets? Yes, yes, yeah. okay. Yeah, I'd love to see you show up at Kinnick in one of the red or or like the orange bowl blazer, like Larry, the guy who hugged ferrets, <laughs> 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 the man who hugged ferrets. You know, he shows up with that orange. You know, there's, there's still there's still I think there's some fun lore there, but I I read some of Scott's stuff and some of the athletic stuff about bulls kind of yeah, and bulls. It doesn't look good for you, buddy. Huh. And that kind of, it's sort of, you know, old guy, me, it breaks my heart a little bit, but I totally get it where everything's headed. I, I get it. And, uh, you know, tough, tough nanners. <laughs> that's going to, yeah. that's going to go that way. And you know what, if you're a bull, you, you, you really try to work hard to get into the playoffs somehow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you can get, if they keep the top six happy in the bowls at least for, I would say you know till the mid two thousand thirties, and then uh, but you know because there are teams thirteen through eighty four 
that, you know, they're, they're going to play in a postseason game. And that's fine for the Bulls. That's what they're there for. But the days of everything being decided in the Orange Bowl, the Rose Bowl or whatever are done. The Rose Bowl is going to have to drop its comeuppance a bit. And Delaney's a, a uh, Delaney's a, a consultant for him. So that so that's he's going to try like hell to keep him relevant. I think if you're the Rose Bowl, if you want to remain relevant, you just say, look, we'll happily be a quarterfinal every year. Just, you know, we won't worry about the semifinals. Just make us a quarterfinal every year on January 1st so we can have the, the Tournament of Roses Parade. And can we, if possible, get a Pac-12 or Big Ten team? If they can do that, okay, fine. Because really, who gives a shit about the Orange Bowl or, or the Bulls? It's the locations now. Right. You know, right. there's nothing magical about the Miami football stadium or the Atlanta Dome. I mean, they're just games. Or the Outback Bowl. Or the Outback Bowl. Although parents, parents would disagree. Parents would disagree. Fine, it's a fine bowl, really, seriously. Yeah. It's a fine bowl. And actually, I think it probably belongs in the upper echelon. But uh, my, Tampa, my Tampa Bay residency is – I still have it, I think. <laughs> that's the uh, – that's going to be the challenge for them is to figure out how to keep some of those bowls relevant. I think, you know, like the Outback – cap one you know those Alamo. those bowl, yeah those 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 bowl games right under like the new year six i think what you're gonna lose is some of the nonsense some of the you know the popeyes bahamas bowl and and things like that i mean you could still keep that because let's face it they're not they're not you know people aren't flocking to the stadium that's those are all tv that's all espn so they're going to have to figure out with the net, you know, with the TV networks, is this viable? And it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah, that's what I wrote last week was about the bowls beyond the New Year's Six bowls. Uh, because in the past, let's say, uh, you know, here's a great example. A few years ago, Florida was like 12 and Penn State was like ranked 13. So Florida got to play in the uh, Peach Bowl, which was a New Year's Six Bowl, and Penn State had to play in the Citrus Bowl. Now, the only real difference was money, frankly, and it was, yeah. that was it. Uh, prestige, I mean, Penn State wasn't, you know, in Florida. They weren't going to play for a national title. It was just a game. And so Peach Bowl, Citrus Bowl, you know, mishmash, whatever. Now, the difference between 12 and 13 is a cavern. It's I got in the playoff versus I'm in – I got – you know, ten dollars at the at the beauty contest. So um, the teams like the Alamo Bowl, where you get the Big Twelve loser who finished fourteenth in the polls, or the Citrus Bowl, which gets the the Big Ten's third team or championship runner up, they're going to be getting a team that went from, hey, if I'm Iowa, I'm going to go. They're going to get forty thousand people going to this playoff game. To yeah, maybe five go to Orlando for that game. Or the players are going to say, you know what? Everybody would have stayed for the playoffs, but six players are going to drop out for that, that bowl game. That's where they're going to get kicked in the nuts. Because, yeah, the the lower tier bowls, you know, what matters for the, you know, Ball State versus, uh, you know, North Texas, eh, th- those games are fine. But it's the ones that have uh, that have real meat on the bone that are going to get, they're going to have a new new world order. And it's it's going to be fascinating to see how they survive. You guys already feeling the heat from Cyhawk? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know oh, what? That's one thing I don't miss. But this year, I imagine that it's it's off the charts already. 
uh, I, I sort of got Scott. One or one of us had written this story every year. Well, not every year. Maybe once every five years. Biggest Cyhawk ever. Man, I I don't think you can. I, I I think this is the one. I think this is it. I think this is the biggest Cyhawk ever. No question. And you know, I think we all can agree to that. I mean, because they've never met as both ranked teams. Two right. years ago, they almost did, but Iowa State fell out because they only beat you and I in double overtime uh, this year. If Iowa beats Indiana, um, then they may be top 12 teams. Iowa State will be a top 10 team. So, yeah, it's without question, it's going to be – and it's going to be impactful for both programs. I think both programs, you know, have New Year's Six slash even playoff hopes. Uh, you know, it might be a little far-fetched, but, but I think, uh, you know, it's going to impact how everybody perceives the leagues, not just a, a normal game for these two teams, but um, – you know, when you get in that ranking room, it's like, hey, the the Cyclones won by a touchdown against Iowa or vice versa. That's going to tilt the Big Ten or the Big 12 a little bit higher than the, than the other league when it comes to ranking. So it's hugely impactful. And uh, I imagine we'll see 50,000 more people in Ames, just what we need when we're driving in. You know, that town is just not made for that big a party. <laughs> it just isn't. A, no offense to anybody. Uh mm-hmm. That 100,000 people in that area, oh, I remember last time, Scott, uh, the, yeah. the storm game, uh, going back to the car, Halas and I, we, we ran into multitudes of people who were shit hammered, mm-hmm. who uh, you just kind of saw us walking out of the press box, hey guys, <laughs> nothing wrong with that, they were all very friendly, everybody was cool, um, but uh, that is a fest, and uh, Godspeed to drive. I would almost stay overnight names at this point. <laughs> Come up with a plan to protect the Iowa fan. That, uh, yeah. that's the, that's gotta be on the docket this year for Gary Barta and company. I think you're right. And I, I, I think Iowa state fans will be cool. Um, but you know, it's, it's that, and you gotta be careful. And I can't believe we're, this is something we, we have to talk about, but it, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> And say, you know, vice versa in Ames and Iowa City and yada, yada, yada. I, I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to the season, but I'm looking forward to that game. I just think uh, more from the Iowa State perspective, you know, they're a top 10 team um, and this will be their first chance to show it. And uh, I think Campbell, you know, is not beating Kirk. It'll be interesting. I think uh, uh, Spencer Petrus better be wired in. Um, and if he is, yeah, it could be an interesting game. That's a good place to hop in, I think, on the quarterback talk, Mark. Sure. And uh, kind of what you were talking, you know, just to go back to where you were talking about the the buzz around this Iowa football team. And the quarterback position is always, I mean, you're the Iowa starting quarterback. You're, you know, often the most rec- recognizable athlete in the state. It's, it, it is the marquee position. There's a, there's a ton of pressure that comes with it. I think Spencer gets that. He's talked about it. Um, he talks about not worrying about what people are saying, which means he knows people are saying things and he's aware of that. So it's easier to say that you're not going to let that affect you. I think it got to Nate Stanley at times. Um, And Nate, his career was really interesting as a three-year starter. He won a lot of games and he had a lot of really good games, but he didn't win the games that they needed to win in order to win the division. Um, and we can go back to, you know, different Wisconsin and Northwestern games 
his struggles against Penn State at times. Um, it just feels like, and I'd like to get your guys' opinion on this, you, you guys talked about it. The defense is going to be good. It is every year. You've got a chance to have a really good offensive line, although I'm with Mark. I'm not sold on this definitely being a ready-made offensive line from the jump. You've got the best center in the country anchoring it, but we've got some questions on the outside. All Big Ten running back, super tight end in Sam Laporta, playmaker in Tyrone Tracy, possession receiver in Nico Regani, some other guys at receiver. Receiver position's much healthier than it's been for quite a while. Um, this feels like quarterback. And Scott, again, to his credit, asked Kirk the other day about where things stand. And I thought Kirk set the table on May 1st in the last spring practice where he said that Alex Padilla had made up ground on Spencer Petras. We've now, whether it's public perception or whatever, we know that that gap is closed right now. And, and Kirk's not an idiot. He knows he's got to keep all of his quarterbacks happy here. Transfer portal. Mm-hmm. Hey, I'm talking everybody up. Everybody's right. making progress. Deuce Hogan's coming along. Yeah. You know, all those things. <laughs> this just feels like a season where it's always important, but they've got to get good quarterback play and they've got to get it right away. And if they don't, they're not going to win this division and it's division or bust for me. I mean, it's been since 2015. You're watching rivals in Northwestern and Wisconsin win this thing. They need good quarterback play and will they get it? Oh, that's a great question, Rob. And I agree with you. I think this is the time where uh, Spencer Petras kind of had a mulligan year, frankly. And, and, you know, the coaches, you know, for a, for a staff that, doesn't offer excuses very much. There's been a shit ton of excuses made for him, you know, about, well, he didn't have this. He didn't have this. He went all off season. Okay. I, I buy it. I understand. I think there's some legitimacy there. There are factors there are reasons, but now those are over. It's performance time. You've got to go step up and he didn't have to play in front of crowds. He's going to have to play in front of the nastiest crowd in his first road game next year at Iowa state. And it is nasty. And he's going to have to make plays the way CJ Beathard did in 15 there, or the way Nate Stanley threw five touchdowns in an overtime win um, over, over there in, in, in uh, 2017. He's going to have to do that because right now it's, the, the quarterback's going to separate this team from being championship caliber and outback caliber. And damn it, you need to get there. And just like you said, you need to get to Indianapolis. You need to win the West. You need to put yourself in that position. And, and uh, if he can do it, great. You know, hey, no complaints. Uh, but if you can't, they better recognize that in training camp and not be afraid to pull that trigger, which they've always been reluctant to do. And um, my guess and my feeling based on this experience, Mark, you could certainly speak to this, is that they'll probably continue to ride Petrus all the way to the opener in the second game, then reevaluate it when they play Kent State and Colorado State. And uh, my fear is for them, I think even I don't I think Indiana's going to come down. It's going to be a tough game, but I think they can win that. Ames, Iowa State's probably not in that realm. They're going to need good quarterback play to win that game. Um, but if they if he goes like fourteen to twenty seven for with two picks and they lose by a touchdown, then it's on him. And then it's, or it's on the offensive coordinator. So uh, quarterback play to me is going to be the separator between 10 and two and eight and four and eight and four is just not palatable this year. You look at uh, Nate Stanley years, 2017 to 2019. I think quarterback play was the one thing that fell out that kept it from three seasons of uh, double digit wins and uh, maybe uh, uh, a division title. 
because uh, you look at the talent that was on those teams on the offensive and defensive lines, uh, what, what more do you want? What more do you want? So I, I do think Cor- uh, Stanley came through at sometimes he didn't come through enough in the big games. Uh, Petrus, it, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to get a read on him, but I really do. I just, you, I, I, gave, I gave the writers credit in the spring when you guys got O'Keefe and he said, Deuce is not ready. So at least there was at least a, a read in the depth chart. So people could move on from that and get to Padilla versus uh, Petrus. Um, from here, it's going to be hard to yeah, see what the smoke is coming out of the chimney, but um, I, I do think Padilla has made up ground, and I think uh, I think they're at least open to the idea. And, and I'm guessing the comp- you know the players know. You know I asked I asked Kirk that a couple of years ago to Big Ten Media Days he, about protected union card players. He said, you know, that's kind of crap because you know the players are state are practice too, and they see guys perform. They know. And if you if you if you upset that balance, you're going to lose your team really fast. So I think they know. And, and you know, this is I, I still think Rudock Bethard was one of the most botched things this coaching staff has ever done. Uh, and Bethard saved it by going to the Tennessee and saying, hey, I'm going to transfer. Um, I, I don't know. PD obviously doesn't have a resume yet, so he can't make that. He can't, if he plays that card, it's too early. Um, but I think after camp. You might, I don't know. I, 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 I would like to think Petrus could pro- progress, but you know, I, he hasn't done it yet. And Rob makes a great point. You know, Northwestern had now been to the big 10 title game twice. I, I would have bet a million bucks. Iowa would have had, would have been there twice before Northwestern and I'm wrong. And I think quarterback play is it. And I think you guys laid it out. Well, um, keep asking the receivers though. Who's looking good in practice? Because sometimes you're honest. And I think Tyrone yesterday, was he talking about uh, Padilla being pretty good in practice? Yeah. Make a job dropping throws. So uh, I don't know how you did that. And and that's kind of the hallmark of what we saw a little bit in the, the two open practices was he's much more accurate. And the one thing that I, I think with Nate especially, I, I really think going back, there haven't been a lot of Iowa quarterbacks that can deliver balls to receivers to let them make plays in stride. It just doesn't happen. Stanley had a powerful, powerful arm, but he always saw things just a tad too late, and it really impacted him. The game that comes to mind for me was uh, the 2019 game, I think it was at Wisconsin, where they lost by two points and it was a great game. Don't get me wrong, but there was a couple of plays near the goal line. I saw Tracy cross and you could just see the separation and it just was like 1001 then throw. And it's like, no, you, you got to see that open up. And I'm not sure Petrus can do that because, you know, when he, when he delivered the ball inside of 2.5 seconds, he was really good last year, which suggests easy, quick reads. But when it was after 2.5 seconds, he completed 44% of his passes. And you can't have that in a pro-style offense. And, and that suggests that he got spooked or he couldn't see the, the second or third receiver open up. And they were open a lot of those times. Or it, he just was you know, running for, and he's not a runner. So if that's the case, if that, that hasn't been improved, you got to pull the plug. you got to go to the next guy because, again, 
even if you lose at Iowa State, it's not crippling. But you want to put yourself in a position to win a championship. And and if that's Padilla, great. If that's you know Petrus, great. That they gotta they gotta see some progress. They can't have what they had last year. I think you make a great point about uh, the first two games. Reminds me of 2008. Pitt, mm-hmm. you guys were there. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake Kirshenson's last stand, and it came up short. Yeah. Um, and then he was gone. And he came in relief the next week at Iowa State. And uh, what was that? It was the week before, game? actually. What it was that? actually it was actually the week before. Oh, was that the week before? Okay. Yeah. And then he got he got axed, and that 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 was a clean transition of power. Yeah. And then I think Rudock Bethard was a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think my comparable to for Padilla is still David Blau from Purdue. And, you know, not the strongest arm in the world. I mean, if they can get away from not the strongest arm in the world and go with placement, mm-hmm. um, I think you make a great point, Scott. I think that, that uh, receivers had to turn against their bodies way too much with Stanley. Um, they, 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 they weren't hitting stride. And if you're going to hit one of those slants uh, to Nico, you want to give him a little space. You want to lead him and you want to want him to run. So uh, I, I, if I'm, I'm, I'm measuring that and that alone, mm-hmm. Almost, and then the and then the two point five seconds I think is key for for this offense. So, yeah, I I I think quarterback. I mean, if you look at draft, the the players I was put in the NFL, you know, Beathard's the best quarterback. Um, that's really the piece that's missing it, mm-hmm. is uh, an elite sort of. Maybe not the the Wilson kid was at BYU, um, but you know, maybe not a second pick, but a second rounder. Imagine I with a second round quarterback with, you know, Tristan at tackle and AJE at uh, defensive end. Yeah. You know, maybe Wisconsin has that with Mertz. I don't know. I would say Mertz is uh, a little higher than Petrus, but he's got questions too. Yeah. He looked a- uh, unbelievable against uh, Illinois. And, and frankly, Petrus over the final three quarters looked great against Illinois too, which is why Lovey Smith is uh, with the Houston Texans now as a defense coordinator. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, he, uh, you know, who can emerge out of that? I mean, right now my money would be more on Mertz than anybody at Iowa, but that's going to be, you know, that's the most pivotal game in the West. It generally is. But I think overall from 18, 19 and 20 with better quarterback play in critical moments, Iowa's got some trophies. Iowa's yeah. got some banners last year. I'll be honest at the end of the year, that was as good as I've seen Iowa play since probably, 2009 ish i mean because the 15 team they were gritty and tough and i loved watching them play but that wasn't the type of team you could say yeah they can play with anybody it was just they they did what they had to do and you're kind of proud of them for doing it last year's team at the end if they were going to indy to play ohio state if as long as petrus doesn't make any stupid mistakes they they could throw down i mean northwestern just about took ohio state down and Iowa was much better by the end of the year. So, but that all came back to that Northwestern game. And, and, and I, I blame Brian even more than I do Spencer. I mean, you don't have 51 passes in that game against that team that Hankowitz yeah. has been coaching against Ference, uh for 15 plus years. Same thing with Fitz, um, you know, the Gallagher and, and Patty Fisher and, and Greg Noose. Well, he wasn't in there, but Patty uh, Gallagher and Fisher had been playing against Iowa since, you know, Kafka was quarterback, it felt like, you know. Uh, so, you know, just play Ferentz ball. Just, you know, play punt ball. At the end of the game, when when Kerner intercepted that pass and they're down one, 
just run the ball three times and kick a field goal and win the game by two instead of throwing the ball. And he threw behind uh, Laporta and it got intercepted inside the 20. And I was like, God, what are you doing? Um, so that to me, Brian has a stinker every year. He needs to mitigate that too, or have a stinker in a game where they can win. That'd be, that's an interesting point. I, I think uh, one thing this year, I, I'm going to try to research how to evaluate a game plan a little bit better. Um, just being able to, I think Wisconsin 2017 was an mm-hmm. obvious one. Um, sometimes it is game. <laughs> that was, don't bring up that game, man. I don't want to think about that. <laughs> Wisconsin had fun. but uh, And Josh <laughs> Jackson. 60 yards total offense. I mean, none of us could figure out how long, how long that had gone. I think it ended up being a Michigan game in the seventies. <laughs> I just was, remember James, da- James Daniels looking at Nate Stanley during that game going, what, are we, what is going on here? What, are, what are we doing? What are we doing here? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny as uh, I, I think I talked to Kirk because on first down, they actually averaged like five yards a carry. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then, and then on second down they threw, and then it was incomplete every time. And then it was third and five, and and they just pinned their ears back and ripped ass through, you know, through Iowa's offensive line. And and Stanley couldn't connect with uh, the wall from standing where I am right now, and and it was just the the worst plan ever. And and Michigan nineteen was the same way when you, yep. you're you're down by a touchdown and you got the ball at the twenty five, yet you continue to throw the football. I mean that that was a game and. 17 was a game where he just played Ferentz ball, but you know, going through, like I, I go through all the personnel groupings. It's still better than what it was under Greg Davis. though. Um, and that, yeah, but that's like the lick lighter bar, man. Oh, it's worse than lick lighter is offense. Um, <laughs> not, not overall, but um, <laughs> that last year um, I went through, I, I had a, a one, I had a thing with Phil Parker on, on, uh, yesterday and, and it's going to appear on the athletics podcast but i was we were kind of going through personnel groupings i was showing him my stats and stuff and i said you know the craziest one to me by far and away was in 2016 when you guys when your offense was on third down and you were in 11 personnel you called passing plays on 74 of the final 75 plays of the game he's like what we did that. I go, you know, the only time you called a run play he goes, no, what I go, CJ Beathard's draw against Michigan uh, <laughs> that won the game. He's like, God, man, you know, <laughs> so he's like, we need to bring people in who can kind of identify what we do without us knowing it. And uh, so, but Brian's been really good about adjusting the personnel groupings to the players. I mean, 18, they were at 12 all the time and they should have been in it more, frankly, last year, Monty pot, pot bombs, the biggest killer they've ever had at fullback. You know, he averaged, they went from, you know, a couple of years ago, Mark, I'm like, get rid of the fullback, get rid of it. It sucks. Yeah. You know, they were like averaging 3.6 yards per carry and 19 with fullback on the field. And I'm like, this is bullshit. Get rid of it. Last year was 5.1. And most of it was Monty Potabom lead blocking and burying defensive linemen, let alone linebackers. So, um, okay. <laughs> Line it up with 21 and run with it. And so Brian's done a good job of that. But every now and then I think he tries to think outthink himself and gets too big for, you know, the, the 19 game at Michigan, the 17 game at Wisconsin last year against Northwestern. And if he can get out of his own way and if, if Petrus and or Padilla improves, this could be a really good team. This could be an Indianapolis team. This, this could be a New Year's six team, you know, maybe even, you know, Hey, Ohio State has a new quarterback. They got new players every year that are great, but maybe you get them. 
you know, and you make it worth your while. If not, if you go eight and four and you lose to Wisconsin and Iowa State and maybe somebody like Nebraska trips you up, then you're like, damn, what kind of a year is this? You know, so I, I think they got to be really careful. Yeah, and circling back around to the quarterback competition, Kirk, again, <laughs> he always likes whenever you bring the up a uh, positional competition, yeah. it's like, everything's open, you know, we're going to yeah. let everybody compete. But this this feels a lot more like Bethard, Rudock, um, you know, Christensen, Stanzi. This one feels a little bit more legit than like Drew Tate, Matt Bonet, or, <laughs> uh, you know, the, when he tried to sell us on the, the, the Nate Stanley, Tyler Wiggers. And I, and I think that was a little bit closer, but it, that was a little, the, 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 definitely the, 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 you know, Tyson versus uh, Michael Spinks was definitely the Tate Matt Bonet. I can't believe he was trying to sell us on that, but uh, this one feels legit and it's going to be interesting to see. So to Mark's point, the players know, mm-hmm. You know, and I thought that that was the problem in 2014. There were issues going on there where there were there were people in each camp. And as you guys talked about, I, I'm starting to feel that a little bit the other day where Tracy was really complimentary of Padilla. And then I was over with Regani, who was who was, I know is really good friends with Spencer Petrus. And I, I it's going to be interesting to see how the coaches handle this, because it's going to determine what happens this season. The one difference between Rudolph Bethard and this one is Padilla and Petrus are like practically like best friends yeah. and, and uh, Regani and all those guys, they all hang out all the time together. So it's not going to tear them apart. I mean, Rudolph and Bethard, I, even if they were on opposite NFL sidelines, I, you know, I don't think they'd still go across and say, Hey, how are you doing? <laughs> you know, and, and the, <laughs> this time around, I think they, you know, they would, you know, at the end of the year, somebody's probably going to leave fine. You know, that's, that's what happens in quarterback land, but, but I, I think they need to let it play out and, and give it, give it some air, give it some time, maybe by the third week of August, um, you know, then start to really hone in on it or something. But I, I don't think you could just, you know, if they played tomorrow, it's Spencer Petrus's gig, but they don't play tomorrow. They play Labor Day weekend. So let it, let it be, let it be a fight. Let it be a battle. See who comes through because, Frankly, from what I saw in the open practices, I liked Padilla a little bit more because I thought he delivered the ball better uh, to people in catchable range. You know, the, 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 the placement was good. The ball was placed where the receiver could catch it at kind of his midsection in stride, tuck it quickly and run with it, as opposed to just kind of outside his body range. And, and of course, he does have that other element that Petrus doesn't have, and that is he can run, you know, and kind of David Blau-esque, like Mark said. Does he, does that, uh, I, I do think between Nate and uh, Spencer, the, the making a play when the play breaks down was completely lacking. Not, not anything against their athleticism. It just, you know, I guess something against their yeah. athleticism. Uh, they don't have quick feet. And mm-hmm. uh, so when the play breaks down, it's trouble time. And it wouldn't be good to see an Iowa quarterback make, make a chicken salad out of chicken poo. Yeah, uh, because that hasn't happened for a while. I, I think it's interesting that uh, uh, 2017, I think, was more – I think Bethard was the big Lebowski or Jeffrey Lebowski, <laughs> and uh, Rudak was a doctor. And I think that the personalities – you know, I think Rudak – or I think Bethard was more of a team guy. I think Rudak was more of a Rudak guy. 
Um, of course, a good leader and all that stuff, but I think he, I don't think he radiated with the team the way Beathard did. I have zero read on that. I think Spencer, I think Spencer is probably well liked. Um, I, I don't know Alex at all. I never got a chance to talk to him, but um, I don't see that as a factor. I think this is going to be pure performance and what Scott says about ball placement. It could just come down to that. Well, yeah, you look I get at the. I, the one, sorry, Scott, the, oh, the one element of Petrus that was like, that I, that I compared to Stanley last year, they don't do well under pressure. Certain quarterbacks do well under pressure, or as, as Scott was saying with Alex Padilla, being able to go off schedule or, or keeping plays alive a little bit longer. The happy feet when, when the pressure comes and Penn state was, and they had incredible defensive guys up front that, that really forced Stanley into being uncomfortable but I noticed that element that's what if Petrus is going to be good this year he has to be better at that he has to be better of being being able to continue through his progressions when the pressure comes because that was the one element of his game that I saw that was similar to Stanley's that has to be better you can't you can't allow that pressure to just completely throw you off time and time again and we'll see if he can make growth I mean as you said Scott very unusual year last year with development yeah. and the pandemic. He's had all off season now to work out the kinks and we'll see if he, he's been able to do that. And bless his heart. He's trying his best. I mean, oh, yeah. he really is, you know, he's, he is kind of, he's not the, I always compared uh, CJ Beathard to Jack's teller. I mean, he walks in a room, everybody knows he's there and, and he says, drink, they drink <laughs> twice because he said drink once. Uh, but, uh, but with, that's, uh, great. that's a great analogy. I like that. <laughs> you know, but with, uh, you know, Petrus, he's kind of got that, but he's not quite the, the man's man type, you know, as, as much as Pete Padilla seems a little bit more quiet and reserved, but, you know, he carries himself well as uh, too. You know, the one thing, you know, the missing running yards by a quarterback, you don't need um, Justin Fields back there or somebody like that. What you need is what C.J. Beathard brought in the 15 season. I mean, you remember that run out, out of the end zone at Iowa State and the 50-yard gallop, the, the run against Minnesota near halftime that led to points. Or, you know, even the draw against Michigan that uh, led to the game-winning field goal. You need those plays off schedule sometimes where the guy, hey, it's third and six. The rush is on. Everybody's covered. He can take off and he can dive for the first down. Hell, even in that pit game where Beathard did that, you know, kind of that draw on third and eight and was able to kind of work his way in for that 57-yard field goal. um, That's what they need if they don't have a guy who can just go out there and sling it for first downs all the time. So uh, at least with Padilla, you feel like at third and six and the two guys aren't open and the rush is getting in. Hey, he can probably scramble in and once every three times he can get a first down. So I think that's, uh, that's an element that they certainly miss. And, you know, and the other thing with comparing him with Petrus with Stanley, at least Stanley was really strong. You know, remember like the touchdown against Ohio <laughs> state where he had, um, I think it was, was it, Bosa or, or Young or somebody um, wrapped was a around linebacker, him. wasn't it? Yeah. Hubbard, I think it was Hubbard. Okay, was Hubbard. Hubbard. You know, wrapped around him and he still delivered the touchdown. He, you know, was able to kind of sometimes run to his left and kind of throw across his body and throw deep to like Hawkinson and and do some of that. And, and Petrus hasn't shown that. Now it was a weird year. We'll we'll cut him some slack. I want to see a little bit more of that, but I, I just I. You know, he's, he went to Tony Rassiope the way Stanley did to try to work on his fundamentals. He's a he's a film rat, 
Uh, he studied Mac Jones to try to figure out how he could play like him. He's trying his best, but if his best isn't good enough, it's about championships. It's not about, Hey, he's trying. We like him. It's the production is ultimately the, the thing that's going to matter. And you could see last year, the visible frustration by Amir and Brandon with Spencer. You can't have that again this year. You can't have your receivers and tight ends being upset with the quarterback. Yeah. Cause you know, they were able to squeeze a lot out of low level receivers you know, for a lot of years. I mean, in the Beathard years, anyway, mm-hmm. they can't do that with these guys. I Even mean, these CJ guys are better. Big 2016 work, man. That was uh, that was the nader for the wide receivers. I think. <laughs> yeah. uh, that was brutal. That was, and that and that outback bowl was brutal to watch. Oh, yeah. Thirty to three, turtle on its shell, uh, spinning around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then that then. The worst of the worst was the was the spring ball in seventeen. Kelton Copeland walked in and he probably went, "Man, no amount of money is going to help me on this one." <laughs> you know, he's got two he's got two scholarship receivers able to run routes, and neither one of them had caught a pass then or now with Devontae Young and Adrian Falconer. And he's like, "Oh, how do we do this? They can't even have a legitimate competition because the receivers aren't good enough to give them a good look." So, uh, thank God, I guess, for them and that they had Nick Easley and. <laughs> he was able to catch something, but that's man, slot man. receiver, man. That's gold in this offense. Hey, you, uh, Scott, you had you talked to uh, Phil Parker, Iowa's first million dollar assistant. I remember talking to Bob Bowlesby back in the early days of Kirk, and remember it took a, Kirk almost two years to sign his deal. I think then it was four hundred k, and I remember asking Bowlesby, "Can you imagine paying your head football coach a million dollars?" And Bowlesby said. You know what? If he wins a national championship, I'd pay him two million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> now it's ten. And now what? And so uh, I, I do think, though, I mean, you look at Phil Parker's career. Um, Eleven years as a defensive back coach at Toledo. Mm-hmm. I think this is what he's always been. Um, I, I think. I think Seth Wallace brought the four-two-five and focus a little more, and I think that he understands it. He embraces it, and. Uh, Man, the guy just pushes the levers every year, and I, like I said earlier, he's he's Kirk's Bill Brazier, um, million dollar assistant. Where's it end? And I know this is one of those topics that we're going to tax the fans with, but I, I, I the price tags for coaching anymore, they don't really do anything for me because one, it's I mean basically it's the market. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Phil saying no it was Scott South Carolina. Yeah, that's um, correct. Yeah. So I think uh, uh, I was lucky with the loyalty there, but there, there is a, there's a price of poker, and um, I'm I'm glad you know as you know as an observer of Iowa football, Iowa State football, that they're all that the two state schools are willing to pony up or can pony up. Um, yeah, I I I just think uh, hats off to the guy. I mean, congratulations and keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, you're gonna have people who complain that oh how can a, an assistant football coach make that when you're dumping three sports and and all that that's true but you got to put football in a, in a different realm because guess what you, you don't want to pay phil parker he goes somewhere else 
And then maybe the next guy isn't as good. And then next thing you know, you're, you're Purdue, you're Illinois. And how do you get back? And then you're walking in the wilderness for 20 years, the way it did from, you know, 1960 to 1980. And I think that's what, uh, Phil Parker deserves it, frankly, you know, and in this day and age, you've got a defensive coordinator that, that, I mean, the accolades and, and the, the statistics, I mean, last year they led the nation and, you know, play, uh, yards per play allowed. They have more interceptions over the last four years than any other Power Five program. They had five fewer games than they usually do last year. Uh, over the last four years, they've allowed the fewest plays of 20 plus yards of any team in the country, less than three per game. And, and nobody's even close to that. Um, and, you know, the evolution of the position since he's been there. I mean, he's, he told me, and, and this will be on the podcast a little bit, that he wanted to kind of expand the, 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 40 defense into more cash and, and nickel back in the day. And they just ultimately said no. And, and he's like the Wisconsin game that did it for me. You know, we just kind of argued over which player it was. He, he forgot. He thought it was Ben Neiman. I said it was Nick, but it was Nick. Uh, I was right. He wasn't, <laughs> but no, he, if you're going to never challenge you on that, Scott, you have a Rolodex of a memory. I'm sure Mark can speak to this too, for doing the podcast with you three years. I can't remember last season. You got you you reach back for things. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. Ben got got against, uh, was it uh, Penn state Scott at Kinnick, uh, that little wide receiver? Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. 2017 was KJ Hamler. That's it. Yeah. That's it. And uh, the, the other one. And I, I think, in that little period there that everything kind of played into almost the way the, the gut feeling uh, back in 08 with Christensen to Stanzi, I think you could see some of the mistakes from 16 through early 18 that led to that, uh, that cash. And one of which to me always was the Penn state game in 16, where they got annihilated, you know, gave up almost 600 yards. And really what it was, was um, Joe Moorhead schemed and saw Iowa has huge weaknesses on defense at weak side linebacker and strong safety. And we're going to, we're going to say, can you tackle Saquon Barkley? No. Uh, well, you can't leverage him, you know, him or Trace McSorley. You're dead. <laughs> That's what happened. Uh, and then you, you look at the cash in 18 where slot receiver, important part of the game, Nick Demon, Hey, he's a speed demon but maybe he should have been inside linebacker and not outside linebacker on that play. And, uh, and so now they're in cash and Phil's done a good job of figuring it all out. And the way they play, the geometry they use, uh, you know, you can't argue with him. I mean, he's had 11 first team, all big 10 defensive backs over the last 12 years. And out of the four, all big 10 back, uh, defensive backs of the year, two were two stars and the other two were hooker and King and they, they weren't exactly high three stars. So it really shows his coaching ability and his knowledge and the way he plays and, and it has his players play. I'm glad you use the word ge- geometry because that is what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's what I don't think offenses can figure out with Iowa's defense. They don't know where the safeties are going to roll because it's actual math. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's genius. And, and they don't run like a one high safety, you know, they don't run a lot of man. Um, so they don't know exactly where they're, they're going to line up and in, in the quarters coverage. Sometimes they, they don't disguise it all that crazily, but they're able to, to play the line of scrimmage most of the time with seven defenders because of the two gap and that it make, they make such a mess of it that they don't know where to cut back. 
And then, um, and if you have a great two gap defender that, Hey, it doesn't matter if they have a statistic at all up front. And this is where students of the game, you know, and, and I know Mark and I, we've talked about this for years. You can look at a two gap defensive tackle, like a Jaleel Johnson, and he may have one tackle all game, but hell, he was the best player on the field because nobody could, because every running back had to stop before they cut, you know, he took two blockers up and, and that's where Iowa's defense all works so well together when they play that way. And if their defensive line can, you know, get some pressure on third down, but mainly just mess everything up, Jack Campbell is going to be an all American this year. Tell, tell uh, uh, the weak side, who's going to win that? Uh, that'll be Campbell actually. Oh, okay, Campbell. Uh, who's yeah. Seth, ben- Seth Benson. Seth Benson. Yeah. Uh, the Ohio kid is. Uh, I'm blanking on his name. Uh, Justin Jacobs. Yeah, Justin Jacobs. Is he in the mix there? He's an he's an awfully intriguing player to, in my mind. Yeah, they like him a lot. He's right now they've kind of rotated them all around. So like um, Benson will play weak and mainly middle. Uh, Campbell plays mainly weak and then moves sometimes to middle. And then Jacobs will play weak and and Leo. Because even though they go to cash, they still run Leo, uh, you know, three backers uh, 24% of the time. So he's going to be out there a lot. And then, you know, somebody's going to get dinged up or somebody's going to do this. So they, they, yeah, they like those three. Now the problem is for Iowa uh, beyond that, do they have much beyond that? And I'm not, I'm not really sure is, is Jay Higgins good enough to be step in if necessary. Um, You know, Mike Tim is a really good special teamer, big physical guy, but um, you know, what is it? Ethan, uh, what was his name, Rob? The, the other linebacker from central Iowa, South Hamilton. Um, oh man, I'm, I'm not this, sure. Yeah. My memory's not very Number good. 46. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> can they step in for one of those three? I don't know. I, I, I think they're probably better off if somebody gets hurt to just continuously run cash, except if they're running against two tight ends. They need to keep that Jacobs kid happy this year yeah. until his time comes. If Campbell does play the way we think he can play and moves on after this year, then you can say to the kid, okay, you're, you're the heir apparent here, but they've got to get him enough reps this year where he stays happy. Um, if, if he can get 24% of the defensive stamps the way they yes. did in the past, and I, and and then be able to – I could see them rotating a little bit inside. The way they did that last year, even with Campbell and Benson. Yep. Then I think he could get close to, say, 40% of the reps, you know, 40% of defensive linebacker reps, and play a lot of special teams, which could be 15, maybe even 20 snaps a game. That's a lot of action. So I don't think you'll, you know, for a guy who's what, a, he'll be a redshirt sophomore, I want to say. Yeah, redshirt sophomore. This is third year, right? Yeah, so he's a redshirt sophomore. Third year um, is always, I think, the biggest year. It's like, uh, okay, something should happen. Mm-hmm. I put in the work, I've listened, something should happen. I think it's always a key year. Yeah. So I think I think they'll be okay there. It's just injuries to me. It, it's really going to be, can they keep get YA Black you know, he's, you know, he's turned in some superhuman type stuff. I know Mark, you've even heard that. And, and, yeah. Uh, yeah and, uh, and then you got unblockable is what I heard. Yeah. Even, <laughs> even with, uh, even with Tyler Linderbaum. I saw him walking out of the facility the other day when we were leaving the press conference. Some press, he's got kind of that, not the same, but just that Tristan Wirfs natural bulk. There's no mm-hmm. fat there. It's just yeah. Big, natural 
size and mass. And that's kind of what you see with black. Yeah, exactly. I went visit. <laughs> I went and visited him in uh, Marshall, Minnesota, which is way the hell out there. I mean, it's it's like you know, forty five minutes from South Dakota on the it's Minnesota where side. Where one of the seasons of Fargo was set. Yeah. Are you doing any fishing out there, Mark? That sounds like a fishing town. Uh, I, I worked in Fairmont, Minnesota, which is about nine miles above uh, the Okabogies. Yeah. Um, so I know the region, and wow, how in the hell they found that guy? <laughs> Tim Polisek, man, that, that's uh, that's beating the bushes and uh, coming up with gold. Yeah, right. He is naturally big, and he's naturally he's kind of quiet, but that um, you know, it's I don't know if you've been. <laughs> The Muppet movie, uh, going way, way, way back when uh, they brought in that, that snake guy, Snake Walker. What do you do, Snake Walker? Kill frogs, and that's kind of the way. <laughs> that's kind of the way Y.A. Black is. Doesn't say a whole lot, but man, he's just a he's just a load, and he's up to three hundred pounds now, and naturally built, as you said. Uh, I think he's if he stays healthy, he's going to be a really good player even this year. Can do they just have enough? Just do they have enough to because. I, I kind of with the with the scrutiny that we're going to lay at, at quarterback. It's kind of the same way with defensive line. Can you stop Brees Hall? Can you force him to make plays? Can yeah. you stop Wisconsin? Though that's my litmus test for this defensive line. It's not can you beat marginal teams? Yes, they can do that. But can you win championships? And uh, Y.A. Black could be one of those players. Can Logan Jones be healthy enough? They like Craig a lot. They like Herkin a lot. They like all these guys. And that's kind of what Phil was saying. You know, you can kind of throw them in droves now. And that may be the, the path to, to getting them ready and then finding out who's the best. But it's still, it's going to take some time for them to develop into a great defensive line. You got the, the two Logans, mm-hmm. Logan Lee, Logan Jones. I think there's something there if they can stay healthy. Uh, always been a Logan Jones fan. Uh, oh, got yeah. to see him a little in high school and watch him at state track. He's just, he's kind of just like a fire hydrant in there that you cannot move. So um, I think he and black would work really well together. That combination. Um, yeah. Um, I, lo- I love the budgeted type guys. Yeah. yeah. The guys who you think you look at him going, you are, you're a Hawkeye. No way. It's like five eleven off defensive tackle. I love those guys. I remember size of a size of a goddamn Grand Canyon, and they're not going to back down. I love those guys. Yeah, Um, I remember Budgeted telling me that Reese Morgan, when he was recruiting him, he said, "Hey, you're vertically challenged, but that's okay." (laughs) (laughs) And and those guys are fantastic. And that's that's the kind of the hallmark of Iowa recruiting in some ways, where hey, you know. uh, an Ohio State, hell, even a Nebraska might say, ah, we're not going to take anybody unless they're six four up front and, you know, got the opportunity and this kind of burst. And Iowa will say, well, and, and this is what Kirk told me last week in our one-on-one, you know, we'll take those, you know, USC will take the six one guy, we'll take the five eleven guy and hope that the two inches doesn't get us beat. And, and then uh, I brought that up to Phil yesterday and I said, you look at a Monty Hooker, that those two inches got you beat in that Penn state game, you know, and that was just the, he, he, he was a great player, but that's the one situation where it came up. And, and like uh, he told me about talking with Pete Carroll about uh, Troy Palomalu, they weren't going to recruit him because he didn't fit their box uh, USC. And finally at the end, it was like, 
well, let's just take a shot at this guy. Well, he's only a, you know, hall of famer and every <laughs> single hall of fame you could ever get. But so that's, that's the Noah Shannon, Nate budget, you know, just throw him out there and Hey, you know, <laughs> I think nobody enjoyed that win against Nebraska more in 2017 other than maybe Fant than Budgeta because he was able to throw up the bones so many times for getting good sticks. Let's talk uh, a little bit about Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> uh, could you, uh, year for Scott Frost, right? This is a big year. This, that opening game is going to mean something to both teams, man. At Illinois, they got pulverized by Illinois last year, and Illinois returns like 20 guys, 20 seniors that all stuck around. And and that tells you what they think of Bielema, you know, right. that, that if most of the time when your coach leaves and there's an op- now there's an opening, you know, a transfer portal, you go play right away. And they all said, yeah, I'll, I'll stick around. Guys like Jake Hansen, who just kills people. And I mean, they had 20 super seniors stick around uh, from a team that, you know, needed a little bit more discipline and, you know, some consistency, I would say, but Nebraska going there. I mean, if they lose that game week zero, it's going to get rough there. And, and I don't know. I mean, I think Bill Moose is probably the first guy to get whacked, you know, but it's going to be hard if they get to year five and Frost still hasn't delivered on even a, a bowl game, let alone making the whole big 10, sh- you know, shiver in its boots. Remember going out there. Uh, I can't remember what year it was now, probably 2017, uh Mike Riley was still the head coach and every tailgate had somebody with a t-shirt that said frost warning. Um <laughs> I think that that t- that t-shirt might have a different meaning here mm-hmm. if they don't click in year 5. It's interesting you look at you know how, how overwhelmingly the fan base at Nebraska wanted Scott Frost and and there's a similar situation at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh and he's really got to – I mean, I, both of those guys, I mean, time is now. Um, and and I think it gets lost in the shuffle a little bit. Harbaugh's had some – he's had a lot of success at, at Michigan. They've won double-digit games. Um, you know, he has, he's had really good teams, put a ton of guys in the NFL. you got to beat Ohio State. you got to get to a championship game, and that's just not happening there. And then for Nebraska, I mean – it's as bad as it's been there for a long time. And is Frost the guy? And so they're going to, both of those programs are going to learn this year. You know, is it, do we have the right guys or do we have to go in a different direction? And it'll get ugly when you, if you have to remove one of your favorite sons from that spot, it could get real ugly. Yeah, it sure can. And the Harbaugh thing is, is fascinating when you look at it from the lens of, what if, what if there was a 12-team playoff? He, he would yeah. have been in it several times, you know, at least two or three. Yep. Um, so that, then it kind of says, hey, it was a successful era. When I ranked the 40 coaches hired since Ferentz um, in the Big Ten, he was in the top 10 because his numbers are great. He's like 49 and 19, you know, just or at least in Big Ten play. So uh, it's really the measurement for what Michigan has, and that is, you have to A, beat Ohio State, and B, win championships. And if you can't do that, you're failing. And uh, that's, 
And of course, he's going up against a golden era of Ohio State, even by its standards. Frost, um, the hubris is, is nauseating at times from Nebraska. You know that, hey, we're Nebraska and you're not. You know, we won five national championships and you haven't. <laughs> um, but it's like, dudes, do you know until you beat Purdue that you had lost your most recent game to every single West Division team? That you've lost now six straight to Iowa, eight straight to Wisconsin. Um, that's really, they need to, either they need to have an assessment of their program, which is how do you win in the West and not worry about the, about Alabama and Ohio state. And that is you've got to be able to match Iowa, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Northwestern along the line of scrimmage. Then it doesn't matter if your quarterback does backflips before he throws or he's a, he's a statue. Um, but you, you, they haven't been able to establish a long line of scrimmage and, be able to stop the run and, and be able to run the football physic with physicality. And until that happens, they're going to still be wandering in the wilderness. And, and it wouldn't surprise me at all, frankly, if Bielema just blows them, uh, rolls them over because of the way they play under Bielema ball. If I'm a Michigan fan, here's what worries me. Harbaugh, when he came on the scene, was a ball of energy, satellite camps, making everybody nervous. Uh, had uh, Nick Saban, you know, wanting to, uh, curb the rules that's with the satellite camps and he was very audacious outspoken this spring they had a what a spring game not even in front of the media just not even in front of fans just kind of hidden away um, at, at, sometimes I think the energy that a head coach throws does, steers a team uh, I used to think Paul Rhodes his, his, uh, his enthusiasm but then something bad happens and it's gone Mm-hmm. And then he's yelling at officials and that I think that screws with the team's energy. I used to think James Franklin kind of did the same thing. Um, I really think Harbaugh's energy is if I'm a Michigan fan, I'm going just get to the NFL already. Um, let's get a college person in here that uh, wants to be here, uh, wants to have spring games, wants to answer questions from the media, um, just is more of the people. Uh, I, I just think that energy that he throws is just not good right now. And I think uh, I don't see them beating Ohio state this year, next year. I don't know. I, I just don't see that happening there. Fleck's you know, got the energy. Fleck has kept the energy. Yes. He has. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Speaking of that, I, he needs to beat Iowa. He needs, yes. he needs to beat Iowa. He and Campbell both. Yeah. And it's eating at it's eats at both of those guys. You could tell when you watch them on the sideline. And then you had last year at Minnesota where you know Kirk drops the we'll take the trophy and you know leave the timeouts here. And that's just kind of more of a dig. Just keep digging it. Yeah, they're the ones that are the that really dig at Iowa on the recruiting trail. You know, Minnesota is and and Fleck has become the pariah of the of the West Division and Iowa State, frankly, uh, because of the way he recruits. It really drives people crazy. And if he wins, then it doesn't matter. But if he loses, uh, people will get you know immense joy and pleasure, kind of the way Cersei was when the crypt or the sept got blown up in <laughs> Game of Thrones. So uh, Scott's you know, coming with the analogies today, man. He is hitting it out of the park. Yeah. It was like a three homer game. <laughs> so you know uh, I, I think it's it, i love the west division and i don't and i don't have i don't have a problem if the big 10 decides to scrap it because that might be healthier for the league as a whole but i love that the storylines all kind of intersect and they get a little bit overlooked but 
everyone has a, as a series, as a rivalry, as a game that, you know, everything's different. You know, Iowa, Purdue, Iowa's like, oh shit, they're like our kryptonite. You know, we play great defense against everybody, but Purdue does things so unconventionally. They will attack you over and over and over again down the field and you have to be prepared for it. And Iowa loves to, you know, Hey, we're only going to limit you with a couple of big plays per game at the most. They don't care. They'll keep searching for it and they don't care if they punt, but if it's third and eight and they throw a, you know, a 50 yard pass, they might connect or get a PI. And that's just the anti Phil Parker, Iowa defense, <laughs> you know, and, and Bielema now is just going to add a lot more spice, you know, to Wisconsin, obviously. Scott, I, let, I don't want to, I don't mean to interrupt your train of thought here, but I was thinking about this when you said, if they go, if they do away with divisions and Iowa keeps three, you're going to keep, you're probably going to keep, you got to keep Minnesota. You got to keep Wisconsin, probably going to keep Nebraska. So that means no Illinois with Bielema well, there now? Yeah, it kind of sucks, doesn't it? But that's yeah. probably the one left out. Northwestern, too. I think that's yeah. been a great, fun series. Um, it's eight years you know, without, it, Scott, right? Eight years without Illinois uh, in the mid-2000s? It went from 08 till 14, but it was going to be eight years uh, playing them at home. It was eight years without playing them at home because of the whole divisional changes. It wasn't until they went to the West Division that they were able to shrink it to like six years. So, yeah, there's all kinds of that weirdness. Iowa's played Ohio State once there since 09. You know, that's that's going too far. So if you, if you want to make things interesting that way, it's going to uh, – and in a playoff, you do have a little bit more margin for error that's expanded, and that is if you go five eight games – you play three rivals, that makes things weird for Maryland and Rutgers, but let them worry about that. Uh, but and then you could play everybody else. There's 10 other teams, play five, two years on, two years off. You know, just that way you're, you could tell every single player, hey, you're going to play at every location in the Big Ten in a four-year period. I think that's that's something that they can promote. And and the only thing I've, I've worried about over the years with the Big Ten, and this especially a few years ago, was that – the big 10 East would try to separate itself as we're the best in the, in the, the hardest division in in sports. And, and the West is just some sort of slap, whatever (laughs) over there. (laughs) That's not true. Um, The the numbers show it, that it's a 66, 60 advantage for the East and fit and Ohio state's 15 and two against the West. But it's just that they, that there's like eventually in 15 years, it's like, well, let's just go do our own thing and and forget those other teams. I think if you put them all together again, the way it was before that it it builds a stronger big 10 and no separation. I think it works for the big 12. Yeah. I think the worst job in the, in the big 10 West division is Purdue defensive coordinator. (laughs) (laughs) That guy has no chance. His offense is going to drag his ass up and down the field, no matter yeah. what, and uh, that's Purdue's flaw. Um, if I'm Iowa, let's shoot it out. Yeah, you know, if you're Purdue, how do you, how do you play that, Mark? You're the defensive coordinator, right? You got George Karloftis. What would you do for Purdue, knowing that that offense isn't going to change? You can't play the way you would at Iowa, which has a ground acquisition style. What do you do at Purdue? You got to bombs away on offense and hope Karloftis can be your uh, the biggest weapon. And I think he can be. It's probably his go year, right? Um, yeah, yeah, he's in the, the top fifteen of all the mm-hmm. draft lists now. Um, he he affect he can't affect every play. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you guys saw, you, know, you can you can scheme away from uh, one guy pressuring, and then it's how much Purdue gets away with holding in the secondary. Yeah. Uh, twenty was it twenty seventeen twenty eighteen? Uh, man, that was just a, a hug fest. But yeah, Purdue defensive coordinator, you couldn't pay me enough. Uh, uh, I love Jeff Brom. I think he's brought great energy. I mean, Purdue is literally a sinkhole. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, and I, I, I hopeless. That, yep. Yeah, he's hopeless. <laughs> I, I think uh, uh, he's brought the right energy, yeah, but you can't drag your defense. I think Maryland will be the same thing. I think uh, Iowa should kick the shit out of Maryland. Maryland's going to get some points. It's got a tagly of Avoa at quarterback, but it doesn't give a crap about its defense, and it will just drag it up and down the field. And that's the thing, too. I think that gets lost with folks and we've all had this conversation with fans before about the complimentary football that Iowa plays that, you know, each phase feeds into each other and feeds off of each other. Mm -hmm. And you don't have that at Purdue and you don't have that at Maryland. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and a lot of the other schools that haven't found success, that's the issue. And that's the strength of Iowa's program. Right. Well, you look at the big 12, and those teams that run the air raid, you know, the Texas yeah. Techs and Oklahoma State. Well, Oklahoma State's had some more success than the Texas Tech or, or you know, uh, SMU or whatever. That they have three plays and then they're out in 45 seconds. And then it's like, then they punt the ball. And then if the other team has any kind of a ground attack, they, they're just like, uh, you know, holes in the dike. I mean, it's, it's like the Netherlands, you know, <laughs> all this water going there. And, and Purdue's the way I think you have to complement it is completely different, which is I would run like, uh, you know, almost like a three, three, five NFL style where you have three lot down linemen. It's like, Hey, if you get to the quarterback or make a tackle, great. But otherwise just tie up the other team's linemen and then just start sending blitzers from every direction and trying to either make the big play or you're going to give one up and, and then have one ass kicking safety. You know, that's just like, hey, you do whatever the hell you want. We're going to play 10 people solid. You do what you want and have, make sure you have an edge rusher who can get to the quarterback once in a while. That's really about all you can do, because if you try to play Iowa style, bend but don't break <laughs> when the other team, you're going to be on the field 40 minutes yep. and, and you're going to get beaten to a pulp by the end of the game. I think Rob, I think Rob was uh, there, uh, the 2001 Alamo against Mike Leach mm-hmm. that game was 19 to 16 uh and that Texas Tech team at Kingsbury a quarterback Wes Welker was a wide receiver mm-hmm. and I would Iowa played its game against it and uh you could tell that the offensive line was going to be spectacular the next year so any, anytime Mike Leach comes up in a bowl game oh man you're Morpheus in uh in Matrix you're <laughs> come on baby let's uh-huh. do this uh because he doesn't give a shit about his defense either. It never has. And Norm Parker was really, I think, innovative and understood things during his era. And I think going back to Phil Parker, he's kind of evolved what Norm did into current day football where you're facing a lot of those spread offenses and it took that Wisconsin game for them to finally break and say, okay, we, we need to make some changes. But to their credit, they have evolved in recent years. And, I, and I, it seems like they're evolving even more. They're doing, you know, what was the, the three rush thing called? The, the three Raider? Raider. I mean, they've, they've kind of evolved and done some different things here. And I, in addition to 
what Phil Parker has in his mind. I think Seth Wallace is a very good defensive mind. I think Kelvin Bell is a really good defensive line coach that gets it too. He's Phil is, is blessed with, a, you know, assistants under him on that side of the ball that are really good and understand the game. And it's amazing. I, you know, as good as those defenses were under Phil Parker, they've gone to a different level the last few years with Phil Parker. And I think it's defensive line. I mean, when you look at what happened 10 years ago, once the Claiborne and, and Daniels and that line graduated, and there was like a, a couple year hiccup where they threw guys in there and, you know, they tried hard and they did, but they weren't elite level. They were getting 14, 15 sacks a year. And now they're getting 30. You know, they're getting Anthony Nelson's and A.J. Epinezes and Davion Nixon's to go out there and terrorize. That allows them to play so much better. And, you know, and, uh, you know, one of the things that they were able to get away with, you know, in the norm era was having outstanding outside linebackers who could play in space. And they also passed them off a lot. It was like chuck the slot and let them go. There wasn't a lot of slot teams back then. Uh, but when you had a Christian Kirksey who could play in space like a safety, he was faster than some of their D-backs uh, that they got away with. Ben Neiman was pretty good. I'd argue he should have been more inside than outside, but still. Uh, but once they realized that there's too many slot receivers, they're too fast to, to even take on with a linebacker, then they made that change. And yes, I think from the day when Amani Hooker took over till now, they are a vastly different and better defense. I don't know if the offense could evolve like that, right? (laughs) Good luck with that. Yeah, that's the bane of existence for the Iowa fan. What are you doing? What are you doing? (laughs) I think there is something to the the idea that points and yards are easier these days in football. And I think if you don't have the ability to just go get it on offense, I think you're hamstringing yourself a little bit. I, I just think you have to have that gear, whatever it is, whatever it could be for Iowa's offense. And I, th- I go back a lot. I go back to the uh, 2019, the uh, uh, Holiday Bowl a lot, mm-hmm. and the way that they spread the field, the way that they uh, exploited uh, USC on the edges. I mean, that was supposedly a faster team, quote unquote. No, uh, mm-hmm. the way Brian created space and design plays, USC was not ready for any of that. Um, I, I think there is an evolution there, but it's it's more subtle. It's just, it's more, it it, it probably isn't moving fast enough for everyone's taste. But uh, I think that once, you know, just once uh, the yards become a little bit easier, points become a little bit easier, uh, then Iowa should be able to swing, you know, nationally, but you know, that's easier said than done. Right. Well, yeah. And and last year, what's fascinating is is, as much as people kind of complain, I mean, they did average, more points per game than any other year except 2002 uh, when they had, uh, I think it was, they averaged like nine yards a carry when they went to Wildcat. And when they did incorporate more jet sweeps and pre-snap motion from the receivers, you could see a level of eye movement from the second level where they just had to, or they were just, Hey, you, and, and then that all of a sudden they could say, okay, is this man or zone? Well, the guy's moving in motion. So it must be man. And they could do things with that. And if they had a veteran quarterback as good as they were the last six games, especially running the football, they would have been outstanding. They would have been championship level playoff level, but it's uh, so I think that's the next level for this offense is what we've seen at the NFL is, 
San Francisco, Minnesota, those teams can really run the football based on the zone. So, you know, maybe I put too much dirt on the grave early on and thought that the zone scheme was dead and they needed to go gap. No, I don't think they need to do that. I just think that because they can't cut block as much, that now that they're forced to do something different and the misdirection part of it, I think is that next level. And if they can continue that and have Tyrone Tracy, well, Amir Smith, Marset, certainly running jet sweeps and, and be able to even put them in motion to where this, the backers have to take two steps this way, which enables the, the blocking angle to be just a little bit better. And when you have an explosive back like Tyler Goodson, shit, this team could, you know, they ran for four, six at carry. And anything over four or five to Brian Ferentz is his championship level. Are they a threat to stretch the field? That's the – because that's what teams are doing. I mean, you think about how much better Goodson could be if he had more space. I mean, there's a lot of – I'll say a lot, but there are plenty of times where he's he has no room to run. And that's mm-hmm. still defense is not respecting Iowa's ability to go deep. And uh, that's really, to me, the next evolution. Can you consistently, not that you're hitting all those passes, but at least hit some of them and put that threat out there. I still don't think defenses respect that. And that puts everything, you know, kind of closer to the line and bottled up. And it makes it that much harder. You're just having to just plod down the field for scores instead of opening it up a little bit more. And that was a Petrus thing last year. In, in the mm-hmm. previous years, without the movement, it was really tough up front. And that's why they're averaging 3.9 yards per carry, because they, they weren't they, – it was pretty much an either-or. Defenses could say, okay, they're going to run the ball, there's no motion, and all of a sudden they hand the ball off, and then they knew where they were going, and then they beat the guy – you know, one guy wins, beats a block, and, he, and he's able to make the tackle. Last year was better, certainly, in the running game, and they were able to, you know, average 4-6. The one question is – can Petrus and or Padilla this year, can they allow those plays to develop down the field? Late mm-hmm. in the year, Petrus was a little bit better with that. He was able to connect on those longer passes to Amir against Wisconsin before he flipping, flipped out and jammed up his ankle or, you know, against Illinois. If he can have that kind of patience and uh, then, yes, absolutely. I don't know if they have a burner like Amir. He was rare, but – um, you know, it's going to be, you know, can Keegan Johnson get deep once in a while? Can, uh, you know, Tyrone's got good speed. He's not Amir, but he's got good speed. And, uh, you know, Nico Regani is more quick than fast. And Charlie Jones, uh, it remains to be seen. He's, he's a good returner. So I don't know. I think that's kind of the evolution. I think they, they did ha- make more room. And, uh, but it's going to be about can the new tackles get the edge? You know, can, can, and that's going to be a question. It is a question. I, I also think uh, uh, number two tight end, do they have that blocking guy? Do they have the uh, uh, Nate Weeding, the guy who gets on the field because he can block? Uh, I know Luke Lachey is probably running number two right now. A mm-hmm. uh, young guy would be redshirt freshman, I think. Uh, yeah. Longer guy, 6'6 six, six or so. Yeah. Um, can they, can that guy seal the edge too? Like, uh, I don't want to compare anybody to George. Uh, I think Hawkinson was a great blocker at Iowa. I see that he's getting knocked for the that in the NFL a little bit, but uh, you know that George was elite uh, at sealing edges. Uh, I think uh, Hawkinson was right there. Um, can they get that guy? Uh, I think Laporta. I I, I, could, I couldn't evaluate his blocking to tell you the truth. 
but it's also going to be tight end too. Yeah. Well, you know, Laporta, I'd say Bayer was better last year. Laporta was pretty good. I think he was good enough to be the tight end at Iowa and block. Uh, not, not Kittle. No, nobody was that. He was, but he was okay. He was pretty good. Uh, can Lachey be that guy? I don't know. I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of like what Brian said. I think he, he was kind of looking at me through Zoom when he's like, you know, hey, yeah, he had a great catch in this game because I wrote about his catch and everything like that. He goes, but none of you guys wrote about the next play, which is he blew us up on a running play. And that, and that can't happen because 12 personnel is really important for this offense. And, you know, they can minimize it a little bit, but you got to run 12. So I think they, that's why we're seeing some Schulten. He's that walk on type bruiser. And that's why he's still in the mix. I think. Yeah, you're right. It's a great point. Uh, because they do need that, you know, even if he catches one pass for two yards, yeah. Um, because you can't just run fullback out there all the time. Potabom could, but he's not really a, in the mix for doing anything other than l- literally killing people on the field with his mullet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. is, Jack, is Jack Plum the most important guy in offense going in? Outside of, quarterback, outside of quarterback, yeah. yeah. Outside of quarterback. I thought I he, they're pretty I, solid inside. I think they've got a good group of guards, and then obviously Linderbaum. And Ince is, uh, you know, mm-hmm. he, he was really ascending by the end of the year. He was one of the top four or five guards, I thought, in the Big Ten by the end of the season. He's, he's tall enough. He's a really good athlete. I visited him up in his, uh, you know, bear hub of uh, northern, you know, north, what, central, yeah, central Wisconsin. And You're like uh, the king of visiting the outposts of this part of the <laughs> country. <laughs> I know, and it was, too. And and both times was in, was in January. I kind of stupidly or smartly t- timed it up to go out when uh <laughs> drop my, season. yeah drop my kids off in minneapolis at college and then take off for these <laughs> outposts um you know on that lake you know that place in like the empire strikes back but uh you know he's he can dunk a basketball so he's he's a good athlete they're gonna try him a right tackle if he can play there and if plum can even be like boone myers and, and just hold the point and do a good job there. I think he's got, he's got, he's a way better athlete, but you know, if he could be almost as tough as Boone Myers, I think that they've got something. Um, it really hurt him not having Mark Kallenberger for one more year though. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I, I thought Kallenberger, you go back to the, I keep referencing the holiday bowl. I thought he was terrific mm-hmm. in the holiday bowl. Um, I, I can understand though, you know, when your body, you know, when, when you're done, you're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I get that. Um, but <laughs> But uh, uh, I, I agree with Scott on Ince. I think uh, he showed me a lot in that first year. He was he was quick to the edge, quick downfield, good good in the open field. Um, Plum last year, he, he, I think there was one play where he got blown up uh, against Nebraska. And I think it caused a turnover. Maybe I can't remember for sure. But uh, I do think he's an important guy. His body has changed so much. I remember uh, uh, Polisek. Uh, I think he was riding him. Cause he's like six, seven. And uh, he called uh, in practice one day, you tall bleepers get moving. And uh, <laughs> uh, I, I think, yeah, he's an important guy. And you know what though? Um, I, uh, on average, I was left offensive tackle has made how much NFL money just on average, not just one guy. I mean, yeah. it's been over 22 years now uh, where that, that position just having a shot at that position is worth like a half a million bucks. 
the the shame of it all is Alaric Jackson sir shockingly brought that whole thing down <laughs> you know I thought he would be a, a 10 million dollar guy and uh, and you know but he's he's with the Rams and I guess if he uh could stay away from a few things then you know he he probably would be uh he, he's got a shot to last in the NFL but yeah I I think he's plums got a shot I mean he's a tall angular guy with good feet so he's got the good starter kit for Iowa, especially. And, and that was kind of what, you know, his dream school was Wisconsin. Well, probably the Green Bay Packers was his dream place, but his dream school was Wisconsin. And he always, he got the Wisconsin offer on his way to Iowa to visit. And Paul Sec did a really good job of saying, hey, I just want to compete here. Just let me tell you about our place. And then he started to realize that Iowa system is better for him. He's not a 340 guy that just whips people with mass it's right you know run and hit and move and and that's the style for him and it works and i think um if he can do that hold the edge um alaric struggled at times with quicker pass rushers um i don't know that jack will it's just it's going to be about but right off the bat those two teams are going to be really tough they're going to tell those two games are going to tell us a lot about iowa at least the first half of the season it's interesting too because you've got guys like that that it feels like it's their time now, like a Jack Plum and a Cody Ince. But there's that group of young guys behind them. And, and how much progress then can they make a Mason Richmond? Uh, I think Justin Britt is obviously in the mix. You know, yeah. Tyler Andrews, Tyler Ellsbury. Then you've got the, you know, Josh Volk. Then you've got the new guys, David Koff and Colby coming in. Yeah, There's a lot of competition there. So those older guys like Plum and like Ince, and like Justin Britt, they've really got to solidify themselves in August. Otherwise, you know, and it'll be interesting to see if some of those younger guys can make up ground. That's a great point, Rob. I think uh, Iowa had last year's recruiting class, I would say was an offensive line recruiting class. And I think, you know, they've got guys who potentially could step in this year. I'm, I, after Tristan, I'm, I'm kind of like, and I know he's a special talent way off the yeah. charts. But I do think that Iowa is more open to having a freshman offensive tackle if he if he you know if he hits the marks in practice and if he's you know big and strong enough and confident enough out there. Mason Richmond is probably that one that that does. Uh, he did see action. He was a second team tackle as a true freshman last year, but you know is still considered a freshman this year because he didn't hit the the number. Plus, you know he has the free COVID year, and they really like him. I, I could see him working in and, and as we know, somebody's going to get hurt somewhere yeah. and who slides in for where I think he's your number six guy, you know, Nick DeYoung played a lot at right tackle. Because I'm glad you brought him out. up. I forgot to yeah. mention him, but he's definitely in the mix as well. Yeah. And I think he's probably based on what I saw a year away, John Wagner did a number on him with the two practices we saw Tyler Ellsbury. I think is also kind of in that, you know, he's that redshirt freshman next level guy. Andries, I don't know about enough. Um, David Koff and Colby, I think are really talented. And, and Miss Linsky, you know, who hasn't been in campus until now. I, you know, they, they look at him as, and kind of what he told me the recruiting pitch was, hey, we got a guy right now, but we want you to be the next guy. So if he can come in and probably play scout team all year, maybe be the number three center, but then next year be the starter. You know, I, you know, and Kyler Schott, of course, will be there throughout. Um, you know, I, I think they've they've got a good unit. Can they be a great unit? Eh, you know, that's that's the big question. How much do they rotate? I mean, that's 
they've had those years where they're really comfortable with rotating guys. This seems like a group where they can do that, but then you also want to make sure that guys get in a rhythm too. And if you're, if you're, you know, you're shuffling guys in and out, does that compromise that? I, I think, and Mark could obviously speak to this. I think you've got Linderbaum in a perfect world for Iowa. You've got Plum and Ince as your tackles and you don't really do anything there. Linderbaum at center, let him do his thing. Justin Britt, try to get him as many reps as possible because he's, he's got a really, he's a really good athlete and, but he hasn't really been healthy. And I think he's the type of guy, make him your, your left guard and don't touch him. The rotation spot is Kyler shot and maybe Mason Richmond. And, you know, maybe every third series you throw Richmond out there and, and Kyler, cause you know what you're going to get with Kyler. Um, he's a mainstay. He's a tough kid. He's probably not an NFL guy. He's, he looks to me, he's the, the Nathan budget of this offensive line. <laughs> it's a good right? comp. I <laughs> so I think that's where your, your rotation point is in a perfect world. Now we know somebody's going to get hurt and who are the next guys to step in? Is it Nick DeYoung at tackle? To, or is it uh, if, if Britt gets hurt again, is it Mason Richmond playing there instead? You know, that's, that's the questions I have. Is there a game you guys are looking forward to more than any other? Besides, besides Cyhawk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's a great question, Mark. I haven't thought. At Wisconsin. Well. 11 a.m. kick. Got to <laughs> win that game. Mm-hmm. To me, True. that's the – you know, in those – I mean, we remember 2015. That was like going to the dentist watching that game with the wind and, you know, how that played out. But if that's what it takes for Iowa, they, they got to embrace that. Yeah. Um, I, I would – the opener I'm really intrigued with, with with Indiana because both teams were in that top 15 range last year. Um uh, it, it's going to tell us a lot about both programs. Obviously, I think Iowa's a, a a better team. Frankly, I thought they were a better team last year. But how does Michael Penix do? Indiana's the separator now with Tom Allen is they actually have a defense, so they can compete. They got a, their second and third levels are outstanding. Um, I'm not sure as much up front, but they got a lot of uh, transfers, so maybe they'll be pretty good there. Otherwise, Penn State because it could be a night game at Kinnick. I think that's fascinating, but I'm just skirting away from what Rob said. <laughs> it's, it's Wisconsin. It's Wisconsin. And then uh, I think I, one I, B I'm would looking, be at Northwestern. Yeah. I'm looking forward to B Illinois. <laughs> that will be good too. Yeah. That should be fun. I don't yeah. know how it's going to go. I think it'll be, uh, I think it'll be that Sylvester Stallone uh, arm wrestling movie over the top. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're looking at a 1916 what type yeah. of success or lack of thereof do you think he has there? This is kind of Bielema's last stand. It is. It, I think it is his last stand. I think anybody who thinks maybe he could go to Iowa, I think this is it for him. Um, and I think he's comfortable with that, at least from everything I've read and uh, kind of, you know, figured out from here. But uh, uh, I think they could fight for a bowl this year. Absolutely. I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I think that's when you bring back that many players and you have a system that, you know, Brett's going to do the smart way he's going to play is he's going to do everything Iowa does and Wisconsin does to some extent, but you know, he doesn't have those players yet and that system in place yet, which is he's going to try to limit possessions. 
He's going to try to play foot, you know, putt ball if necessary. And he's going to try to get in the fourth quarter. And, and he's got enough veterans that if he can make it in the fourth quarter with Iowa and it's 13 to 10, and they feel like they have a chance to win. And to me, that's a, that's a good run for him, you know, against, and, and that could be almost half the teams in the big 10. So yeah, I think they could get to a bowl game, but the question I have for him is this year it's beyond. And he's done so many million times better things when it comes to recruiting than his predecessor did meaning he actually went to high schools or he actually talked to coaches um lovey decided that nah let's not do any of that uh because his last class he didn't sign anybody from illinois i didn't foresee that happening but uh, <laughs> you know so i'm not going to walk to champagne because of that but i, I think it's uh you know if, if brett can, can can bring in his talent and what works then yeah, I think he could be a type of program that every year is you don't just mark that off as okay, this is a win, this is a win. It's going to be like, yeah, it might be a tough game. You, you think you can win, but you know, and I think that's a, that's a win for Illinois because they haven't been that type of program for God thirty years. I think hopefully they support them there. Yeah, hopefully they to be Illinois' Hayden Fry. Huh? If he can do that, then they'll have a parade tough de- and a tough statue. Defense. Tough defense, tough on the line of scrimmage, uh, better recruiting, uh, and rise, raise them up out of the ashes. And I know Illinois has been to a Rose Bowl, uh, was 2007, 2008. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think he has – he's a Hayden Fry guy. I mean, he, he, he saw that all that stuff. He was on the ground floor as a player. Um, I think he has a chance to really turn things right now. I, I do think that's the, one of the worst stadiums in the Big Ten – um, that is going to be Illinois. I don't know. They're, they're, I don't know what their facilities are like. I think there's probably a little bit of a battle there. Um, a lot of oh, money no. goes toward basketball there. They um, just there. built. They just built an eighty million dollar practice facility. There they you just, go. There they you just go. loaded so up. Everybody's gold plated now. Yeah. Um, but but I, I do think he has a chance to be you know sort of their Hayden Fry. I, it just makes it more entertaining. That's what we Absolutely. all are after, right? We, we, we want storylines and stories to tell. And when when that game rolls around, or even when you know, we go to Indianapolis and he's sitting there, like, mm-hmm. you know, when when we used to have the roundtables mm-hmm. at Chicago, as, as Mark was talking about, and people would ask him to show the Hawkeye, the Tiger Hawk tattoo, he's, he's back in that position now of, of you know, Iowa – media asking him about Iowa and him being at a rival school. So that, that's good stuff. Yeah. I remember asking Barry Alvarez about Iowa. Pat, I remember Pat asking Barry Alvarez about Iowa. I, 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 I kind of understood what Barry did. It was constant. He won three Rose Bowls. He did. He, he's like their both Shen Blackler. And, and I did it once. Pat did it a couple times. He did not like talking about Iowa. Iowa was kind of a blip for Barry, although it was his big break. I mean, he was coaching at Mason City High School before Hayden pulled him up and said, hey, you want to be linebackers coach at Iowa? He's like the Reese Morgan kind of of the, of the Hayden staff. Yeah. And uh, boy, boy, he took off. And it'll be interesting to see how Wisconsin goes without, uh, you know, without his designated coach. Barry's <laughs> yeah. grumpy, man. I mean, the, the the video of him wherever that bowl game was, where he was shooing his his grandson away. I mean, he's just a grumpy dude. God, that was funny. It's like get out of here. Come on, <laughs> trying to watch the game. That was that was the best. But well, their their new coach has some obstacles already because of basketball. Uh, you know, the tape that got leaked uh, and yeah. Jim Polzin from the 
for the State Journal, you know, published, you know, a 37-minute tape of the, the players going after Greg Gard. And, uh, and of course, they tried uh, – the, the spin was that, you know, shoot the messenger slash how can anybody release that tape. It wasn't the actual contents of the tape. But that's something that's going to have to be addressed because we've seen a significant drop in talent with the basketball program since Bo Ryan left. And, uh, you know, they've played hard and they, they had a good year, you know, what, a year ago or whatever. Um, and Brad Davison's coming back for his uh, 18th year along with Jordan Bohannon. But uh, yeah, yeah. Barry didn't want anything to do with Greg Gard. Yeah. No. Bo, Bo Ryan retired and forced his hand. What, yeah. in June or something like that? Yeah, he did it like in uh, December. December, you know, so it was like early in the year. It's like, okay, and then, then they had no choice but to make him the interim, and then they had a pretty good year with Bo's players. But Chris McIntosh is going to have to figure something out there, uh, you know, probably continue to ride with guard. But if they fall and their talent continues to dry up, yeah, you're going to have to do something with that program. And uh, Football-wise, you you know, with Paul Crest, it's kind of like that rides itself too. You know, and they and they're recruiting at a higher level than they ever have, so they're they're in good shape there. I don't see much I, changing. I, I see Wisconsin. Uh, the defensive coordinator, um, I'm blank. Uh, Jim Leonard. Jim Leonard. Yeah. He's going to want to be a head coach. He's I, I, that's just the progression. Yeah. Uh, uh, Crest is only 53, 54. Uh, go to 60, I don't know, six years is, is, is your, is your guy going to wait six years? And it's, you know, you can kind of, and Scott, I don't think we're having the moratorium. You can kind of <laughs> slide that question back toward Iowa, you know, is, is who are they waiting for? What's, you know, what's the plan? Uh, I, I can see a log jam there a little bit, uh, both programs. Yeah, I think if you're Jim Leonard, um, you know, he had an opportunity to go to Green Bay as the defensive coordinator and turned it down. You know, I think he can have those opportunities in the NFL and how long before he decides, you know what, I want to make that jump to the NFL rather than being Madison. I mean, Madison's kind of a comfy spot, but after a while, it's like, do I want to be a head coach? Do I want to be a defensive coordinator at the NFL? Um, you know, or does do you say I'm going to go to a power five or high level G five team, like say Pitt or Cincinnati or someplace like that, where you can make your mark and then take the leap in a few years. Cause I, I can't see him being like Bud Foster at Virginia tech or even Phil Parker at Iowa and wait and wait, and wait, and wait. Cause I mean, Kirk's uh, what going to be 66 and a, a little over a month. And he's still, I, he's, he's still planning on sticking around for a few more years at least. So, uh, you know, if you're waiting for the, the Iowa gig too, you've got some time, let alone Paul Chris could be waiting until 68 before he, he shuts it down. But I just, uh, I am fascinated by the successor type thing here. I think, I think everything is off the table. If Brian was part of the plan, but even then it would have to be okayed by the president. Well, the president's different now. So the president's not going to just say, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, you know, she she was pretty instrumental in changing the culture at Illinois. So I, I don't think I think Brian should get an interview um, if that happens. But I'm not maybe it's still worth it for him to look at explore and go take another program and do something with it. And then maybe be the guy who replaces the guy who replaces daddy. You know, so, yeah, yeah, I could see that's, that. the, that's the plan, though, right? That's what we think the plan is to Kirk is to get have Brian succeed him? Well, when I talked to him last year one-on-one, I asked him specifically about that. And he was like, well, 
I think he doesn't want to do that. I think he wants to go somewhere else. And he started talking about his situation, like goes, well, you know, for replacing a legend is really tough. And then he kind of backed it up and goes, well, you know, not that I am or anything, you know, cause he's Kirk. He, he has to show some sort of humility, but I, that was, if that was part of the plan that kind of died with everything that happened last summer. And, uh, and even so I can't see a president signing off on that. Not right now. Not after all that. I mean, somebody with new with eye with different eyes, they're not going to say, yeah, let's sure. Let's just continue this. I just don't see it. I think I, I still do think it is the plan. And I think Kirk is trying to heal his program and evolve the program and distance himself and the program from what happened last summer. And I think the longer he stays, we've gotten indications that he wants to stay for quite a while still. That's Kirk. If there's a controversy or something going wrong, you say as little as possible and you distance yourself and and move on and, and hopefully things heal. And I think this is just my personal opinion and speculation. I don't have any knowledge of this. I think the plan is still to move forward, try to have enough success where and distance himself enough. And I don't know from the new president, I, I haven't talked to her and I don't know, um, you know, what, what type of uh, view she has of the football program and the athletic department. She hasn't really talked about that yet, but I think that the plan for Kirk in his mind is to give Brian the best chance to succeed him after he's done. That's just my take on it. Way, way back when uh, Greg Davis was hired, when, when was that, uh, 2012, 2011? Yeah. Uh, when yeah. I had good sources, I, I did hear that uh, that was the that was the master plan, was to, you know, groom Brian, make him, you know, make him the no-brainer for a head coach. That was Kirk, you know, Kirk wanted that. Um, you know, I think things have obviously changed. And the fact that uh, Bruce Harold on his first day, as president was over getting a, doing a photo op with the football program. Is uh, any I don't know if there's any, been anything public with the new president and football or not, but uh, I expect it to be. I don't want to say frosty. I don't want to you know do a five alarm fire or anything like that. But um, it's going to be different. It's not going to be as friendly as it was. I think with Bruce Harold, who was basically installed by. Uh, Rastetter, who was obviously a football fan, um, got his nephew to be the punter for a couple of years, uh, donated five million bucks. So uh, I, I think that uh, it's going to be different. I think that the plans, that plan probably, I think what Scott said, I think uh, it's, uh, it's thin. And I would agree. I think I don't see it happening. But I think that's what's in Kirk and Brian's mind. I, I think that's what they would like to see happen. I don't know if that's going to happen. Um, I don't know how well that would go over with the alumni um, from conversations I've had. But I think that's the plan now. And Kirk's probably sees it as twofold here. If I can put, if we can win enough and make it more pal- palatable for Brian and you know, whatever, however that court case goes with the extra players, he's still involved in that too, which is another layer to this. But how far can we remove ourselves from last last summer? And the ultimate goal for Kirk is to redeem himself and heal his legacy. And if Brian, if he can 
put Brian in position to succeed him all the better. But I think number one goal is for Kirk to not – it's always going to be part of the, you know, the story. Kirk's legacy will always be part of what happened last summer. But he's trying to reduce that part of it as much as possible. Well, sure. And uh, here's, I'll read kind of verbatim what he said, because I do think it's kind of important and um, it's interesting. And I asked him point blank in a one-on-one, is Brian's plan to succeed you as head coach? And he says, I don't think that. Right now, it's probably not. But in all seriousness, he's probably a uh, probably a little bit like me and I don't know that he's ever had those aspirations I think at some point he probably aspires to be a head coach but I don't know that necessarily it's here um and then uh when was this this, Scott this was the day after everything got released with Hush Blackwell okay and uh and then he talked kind of about how the connections are personal for the former players on staff and then uh and then I kind of brought up uh I'm not the most in tune person to what's going on in the public. My sense is that Brian being a bigger topic, being the next head coach is a bigger topic out there than it is in here. I just think this is probably more like something some people assume that he might want to do or assume could happen. And, uh, and then I brought up the fry thing. He's like, and, and Bobby Bowden's son said, I don't want to be the guy that replaces daddy. I want to be the guy who, is the guy who replaces daddy he said that's the best way to do it anytime that's following a legend that's is not that's coaching 101 be the second guy to follow that legend it's not always easy but especially if you're a son a direct descendant i just think that's another degree of difficulty for taking a job so if you know but brian's been around long enough now and hasn't taken that step that leap even really other than flirtations with the texans to where you still wonder, is that his goal to be the next head coach? Because he hasn't, let's take a different gander at something else. It's always been about here. So I, I could see that being part of it, but let's look at kind of the reality of the situation right now. And that is, I mean, Phil Parker is the one that got the boost financially. Nobody else did. Um, they have a new president coming in and, and she has a history of, kind of rattling sports as cages on campuses. Um, do we think Gary Barta is going to be in his position two years from here, let alone five? No. Great point. She's going to bring in somebody else's athletic director. The athletic director is not going to be like Barta and just let things go. I mean, he's going to want to, he or she is going to want to do something different on campus. So I just don't see this as kind of some sort of crown prince legacy handoff. I think it's going to be a matter of, um, you know, and Brian, I think Brian's a good mind at football coach. I really do. I, he's had his issues with personal relationships and that's been well documented. I do think he understands the game at a level that's beyond even most assistant coaches and he could do well as a head coach somewhere else. And maybe if the, the coach fails and let's say he goes to take your pick uh, uh, ball state, and he, and he goes to a couple bowl games. And in five years after the fact, maybe he comes back to Iowa as the, as the savior, the prodigal son. But I just don't, I, I, I just don't think the university environment would agree to that. And that's kind of where I am too. I, I think that would be the, the plan that they would like to see happen. The Ferences, whatever they, you know, I just, I, I felt like, as Mark said, that that was kind of the plan all along. I still think that, that there's a seed of that. I just, I don't think it can happen. 
not unless there's some real progress made over however long this ends for Kirk. And really, um, he's coaching for his legacy right now. I mean, how is this going to end for Kirk Ferentz? He can't coach forever, as, as good a shape as he's in, and it's a hell of a lot better shape than I am. That's the question for me is how this story ends. Yeah, for sure. It's, uh, it, it's, it's interesting, you know, to see where, where this does go and with, with the program, how can he, you know, rehab his name? I think for the most part, he's done that. It's just when, when you look at issues like this, and, and this is political in the sense of uh, name recognition, um, five years ago when the Democrats nominated Hillary Clinton for president, I'm not saying great or whatever, but half the people in America hated her guts. So you had, you left really very little wiggle room to kind of wow people to change their opinions. Brian Ferentz in some ways is kind of like that with Iowa's fan base knows it and that name recognition is already there. So you're not going to have this wow factor one way or the other. Like, you know, you're going to have people who support him, a few a percentage of people who will give him a chance, but then a lion's share of people more than any other, they'll say, you know what, I, I don't want this you know, and maybe it's 40%. And that's way too high for that type of position. So that to me is is something that wouldn't be the smart move for anybody. Because again, I, I do think Brian's a good coach. And I think he could be a very good head coach somewhere. It's just I don't I wouldn't want to put it at Iowa uh, to give to already be have a third to a half the fan base already be against him. It might it might already be too political. Yeah. Yeah, my, my advice to Kirk, and, and, and I'd probably be like at the bottom of the list of people he would take advice from, is to continue to distance himself from Chris Doyle. What yeah. he did back with the Jacksonville Jaguars thing was not good. Um, and that's hurt them in recruiting. Uh, it, was, it, it, it just brought that story that happened last summer, became a national story again. He's got to, if you're going to, if you're going to, advocate for Chris. And, and I don't know. I know it's tough for Kirk. I, I know he's in a tough position there, but if he does that again, it's just going to make it worse and drag this thing out even more. Yeah. I, I don't think Doyle's name will come up for any job again. Mm-hmm. That'd be my prediction. I don't, I just, uh, that was about as soft a landing as you can have because Jacksonville, Scott, you can talk about this uh, as far as NFL media markets go. It's, it's Green Bay. Um, you can maybe slide something like that past, but the way the locker room reacted, obviously it was a, it was a no-go. I, I, I think his career with the teams is over. Well, without I, a doubt. I think will have to make that case ever again and hurt him, shoot himself in the foot like that. You know, and Urban Meyer uh, was in a honeymoon period. Right. He could, he could have brought toxic people in for the most part. And everybody would have said, Oh yeah, okay. I will give him a chance. And, and uh, he didn't, didn't, he's never faced that kind of backlash, not even at, at Ohio state with some of the crazy stuff that went on. It was a different type of backlash. This was, this was very strong, direct. And in one day it, it made the change. And, you know, it had they done things smarter, it would have been make Doyle a consultant not necessarily a public, you know, announce it publicly on Twitter. And uh, then, then they could have done that. Cause I think they're as a, an employee, as what he does, he's good at it. The, the interpersonal thing is the, the, the side that made it, you know, horrible. So, yeah, I think in his, you know, right now he probably should just uh, go open a gym somewhere where 
in Dallas or, or Chicago, well, probably not Chicago, Dallas or Houston or somewhere in the South. And, and uh, you know, 20 different NFL players can go train with them and, and call it good. Yes. And it'll be interesting to see how Ray Braithwaite kind of early returns are. It seems like uh, weight training over there is going well. Um, the, the, the winter weight training and, and what they're doing this month, it seems like he's um, kept, you know, the, the, the base of what they like to do in the weight room without the, as Scott said, interpersonal <laughs> relations that were toxic. Yeah, toxic. Um, I, I think there's content in the weight room. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but every time they're, every time they get a chance to ring a bell, every time that they have a big lift, like maybe not Tristan-esque, but uh, somewhere in that neighborhood, man, if I'm college football, uh, I, I think that's content for your masses and it brings people in. And I, I do think an open sort of uh, uh, just uh, taking down the what we do is secret, quote unquote, um, w- would be good for college football. And in a, in a couple of different ways, content, one content, two, hey, look what we're doing. We're not, you know, we're not in here torturing people. We're not in here abusing people. These are kids. These are the exercises they're they're achieving. We're here to support, you know, their, you know, their path, you know, toward whatever wherever they're going in football and life. Uh, I think there's content there, and man, I wish college football could open up a little more like that. I I say that as even uh, uh, someone who's not immediate really anymore. Um, I just think uh, there's there's an openness that needs to happen with college football. Well, you know, and you look at what they've done, and I kind of have these stats somewhere, but of course my place is a disaster. But, you know, some of the records that have been breaking, broken, Logan Jones this year, uh, what I think it was in the squat and the uh, hang clean, you know, for position, and one of them was defensive. I want to say the hang clean may have been the defensive record across the board as a redshirt freshman. That's incredible. Uh, Jack Kerners broke records in the weight room and, and things like that. So, people would be really intrigued to watch that happen. I mean, Absolutely. that's really big. And, and what a better selling point for your program to say, Hey, we didn't fall off the, the, the turnip truck when, when Chris Doyle left, look what we're doing. We're breaking records in the weight room and we're doing it without people getting in your face and demeaning you, you know, it's more of an encouragement and let's face it, that's what people want, you know, is, hey, you know, you can, you can be strong, you can be tough, you can be physical, you can, you know, be together, but you don't have to always scream and yell and get in people's face and give them the, the Doyle smoke, as people said, you know, because there's been, there's been some former players who think they're going to be soft because of this. I, I see exactly the opposite. I think you motivate people positively, you know, with the same standards and the same workouts, you might get better performance. And certainly we've, we've all been there where we've seen them sometimes it seems flat emotionally at the end of some games that's cost them in the past. That's not the, that wasn't the case at all last year. And I think in the, in the future, if you have a, a more cohesive unit, you're in a better spot than you ever were before. And, and I think that's something, if I'm Iowa, I agree with Mark, show those videos Get, let everybody see what's going on in there and, and tell everybody how good Raymond Braithwaite is, you know, then I think your program's in a much better spot. Let, let Raymond and the kid and the players tell the story. 
Yeah. I'm obviously producing the best you can, keep out the F words, <laughs> but let these guys, let these guys tell the story. I've always said there's no better ambassador. I mean, you can put a coach out there, you can put an SID out there, you can put an athletics director out there. There's no better voice for your program than your players. Um, and there's no more accurate voice than your players. And, and if things have really changed, and I know Tyrone Tracy gets a question every once in a while, Kayvon Merriweather gets a question once in a while, but I really think that if you open that up and, and let maybe the coach, you know, the strength coach say that, you know, kind of direct things and, you know, the, show those record lifts, show those record sprints. Um, hell, I would subscribe to, you know, that uh, tug of war thing they do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, I, oh, I love that. Show that stuff. Bring people into your program. Celebrate the victory, even the small victories against each other, you know. I, I just think that there's a mountain of content there and there's a story to tell. There's a narrative that, that it, it's got to be true. It's got to be true to the bone, but it, I think there's a narrative there that would help not just Iowa, but college football programs. Yeah. And you know, the black, box, the, black, the black box that everybody has about strength and conditioning and just this mystery thing. And these players come out, you know, a hundred pounds heavier than they were when they came in show that story, show the struggles, show the plateaus, show the, uh, the triumphs, the bell ringing. My goodness, it's all about uh, ringing that bell. And I think when they did show those pictures, uh, Tyrone Tracy, I think was last summer ringing the bell. That, that's, that spoke to me. I'm like, okay, there is a triumph in the weight room mm-hmm. that's, that, uh, that we didn't get to see before. Uh, I think just even that little whiff, uh, I think does a lot for the program. And I think that's, where maybe the program wins wins some people back. And, and I think we're finding out, and, and Scott mentioned this, where some of the, I don't know, old school or however you want to put it, the where they feel like they've got to tear you down and take away your personality and just kind of make you into that robot and break you before they build you back up. That approach doesn't, that does, that's not the, it doesn't have to be in the equation for success. You can bring guys in, let them keep their personality, let their let them keep their individualism, and work that into what you're trying to do as a strength and conditioning program. And I truly believe, as Scott said, if you start, if that's the starting point, you have a higher ceiling with the players as a group. I think there's more camaraderie. I don't think you have guys dealing with mental health issues as much, and I, I, for, I can't remember which guy I talked to the other day. They painted a picture. He painted a picture of, you know, guys getting together and picking the music they want to listen to. Little things that people probably find just as whatever, but just a vibe in that weight room where everybody's working and everybody's moving in the same direction from a higher st- starting point. I think, I think it can work. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, I look back through what Tyrone Tracy said about Ray and he said, you know, I won't even say more laid back, but he's calmer. You know, he doesn't yell a lot. He understands he doesn't have to yell to get his point across. And and that's kind of the 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 way that they do things now. And that's a, that's a much better vibe because, yeah, I, I mean, I played football in the 80s. So did Mark, where coaches would grab you by the face mask and, you know, practically you'd have to wipe the spit off your nose and your mouth, you know, because they're yelling at you. And it just made you feel like shit. And to 
you know, and, and talking to like Marvin last year, Marvin McNutt about, you know, his first day on campus, he just got dropped off. He's throwing seven on seven or whatever. Uh, Doyle's on the field. He's not connecting. He's play, he's throwing the ball poorly. And Marvin or Chris stops the practice, goes and gets nose to nose with him and screams at him. You know, you think you're some hot shot from St. Louis. Who the hell do you think you are? And, you know, and he's like, he's like, I'm, never felt so small in my life. And then it started to make me think for a black, white, it doesn't matter. A lot of these players shoot the weekend before they move in the dorms. They're having going away parties. They've got cakes with the tiger hawk and families coming over mama crying and everything like that. And then they're getting dropped off. And then on their very first day, they're not performing very well and they're getting screamed at who, how does that help you? How does that help you grow as a, as a husband, as a father, as, as a man, you know, it doesn't at all. It makes you feel like shit, it, you know, instead of saying, Hey, look, we expect a better performance here. Let's get going. That guys, internalizes it. These guys are getting trained to year round. I mean, there's a trainer at home. Mm-hmm. Uh, you look at, you look at uh, uh, Tyler Goodson. Yeah. Uh, he, he's trained year round. And so they're paying the trainer back home that trainer's going to whisper sweet nothings in their ears probably so they can get paid. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very different environment when you come to Iowa city and they're paying you to train. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's their dollar and it's a very different voice. And I think you know, when Kirk did say one thing about the Doyle, about Chris Doyle in, uh, in that press conference, he left him on the disciplinary point way too long. And, uh, uh, but he also he also gave him all the power. I mean, he had all the NFL power. Uh, these guys weren't. Uh, they were getting Doyle was their their review with the NFL. It wasn't Kirk. It was Doyle. So there was a lot of power there, and uh, Kirk was right. I think I personally think he was right when he said he left him on the point too long, and um, eventually things wear out. You know, power. I think power is shifting in college football. You guys see it every day now. Uh, NIL, everything. Uh, players have more of a say. And I think Iowa really got that lesson last summer. Yeah, well said. And as Tyrone Tracy said the other day, things are a lot better, but there's still a long way to go. I want to come back in 10 years and see how much progress the program has made. And uh, this is an ongoing thing. And I think fans should realize that. And hopefully it's moving in the right direction and it will translate into more success on the field because eight. So, you know, eight, nine, 10 wins are great, but winning division titles and going to the big 10 championship uh, is, is really what the goal is. And they have, however you want to frame it, they haven't done that in six seasons and now it's time. Right. All and I know is it's a hell of a lot more fun to cover a 10 or 11 win team than it is an eight and four team. Yep. Without a doubt. And, you know, getting to the playoff, I think, will be the ultimate goal now, you know, even more than because winning the Big Ten, it's it's different. You know, we hear the winning the Big Ten championship. I can't believe they haven't done it since 2004. In some ways, it's a lot like basketball in that regard, that it's it's kind of a stain, but it, it's not the worst thing in the world when there's something bigger out there. Um, and, uh, you know, because if you take things the way they used to be in 2015, Iowa is not only the champion of the Big Ten, but but, uh, you know, they're they're not a co-champion. They they won all their games. Nobody else did in the regular season, but they did lose the Big Ten championship. So that's more defining than an 04, 02 or 1990 or 81. And it's and so I think if they can get to the playoff with regularity, that to me is 
going to be the ultimate goal. Winning a Big Ten championship will be great. Just like in basketball, it's been since 79, which is really ugly. But I'd argue and say that the 87 team was as good as any team I was ever had. And it did, it finished second. So, um, you know, I, but it, it's going to be fascinating. And yes, I think being more cohesive, building a better team um, and doing it in, in ways that I think really register for everybody and be, is just, is it going to be the hallmark of this program? So. Well, Hey, you guys better go get golfing. I got to go to the bathroom, man. My I'm old and my bladder doesn't work yeah. as well as it used yeah, to. So. Yeah. And we've kept you too long. Oh, we've been on this two and a half hours. Yeah. Man. yeah. We can, yeah. I know we yeah. can keep going. Uh, John's probably going to get mad at me for, uh, <laughs> uh, cause we haven't done, we'll probably do one one of these days, I hope. But, uh, 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 it's been great talking to you guys and have me on anytime. Uh, I, this is fun. Yes. We'll have uh, maybe at some point we'll have John on with the, the three of yeah. us and we'll, then we yeah. can really get going. The bad four. Well, <laughs> the golden guys. I'll be yeah. the Rico on that one. The olden guys. <laughs> you know, if, if we do that, we might as well just make it live on YouTube. Yes. There you go. There Definitely. You go. Well, Mark, thanks a ton for doing this, man. man. Um, great to see you. I'm glad you're happy and healthy. Uh, we took a little trip during the pandemic up to Galena last year. Love that place up there. Um, Going to come up again at some point, and I'll definitely look you up, and maybe we'll have a beer or something. If... You betcha, man. You bet. All right, Scott. We'll, yeah. you, we'll do this again next week. And uh, thanks for everybody for listening to the Hawkeye Hotspot podcast. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you next week.